your love the weed. Oh, grandfather, man, go plant the seed. It's good for your nerves. It's got to preserve. Chant a song to send you weak into the curb. It's all about the weed. Of course, I love the weed. Hello, my name is Tom Chick, and you are listening to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast, where this week it's all about the weed. Ah. <laughs> no one's listening. <laughs> Why do you hate Rick? Hey, uh, well, we saw that, that song is in honor of the movie we saw this week, which was Your Highness, which presumably has lots of marijuana jokes. We'll get into that in a minute. We'll, we'll see. Uh I'm, let me let me introduce the rest of the folks on the podcast this week. I'm joined by Christian McCr- Is it like McCracken or something? Christian McCracken. No, don't worry about that. Uh, you can just call me Iga or wait or Eva or Eve Iga. I don't know something. <laughs> and I don't. Kelly Wan, did you get that one? No, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. I did, but I like it. I, I liked it too, but I think it might have been. Did Dingus see a different movie this week from us? Dingus feels he wins if we don't get it. So know, if we, yeah. if we can't get it. He's like, ah, it's idiots. <laughs> Kelly Wand, let's That's see more important can, than hearing laughs. Let's see if you can do better, Kelly Wand, with this week's Your Highness tagline. What do you have for us? Uh, it does for weed what Sucker Punch did for video games. Okay, good. No, no, that's not good. Hang no, you're not gonna. That's you're gonna back off of that one. That was just a trial run. Okay, what's the real tagline then for your a minor a minor Frank? Mm. No, no, that sucks. Okay, wait, wait. Mediocre times. Okay. Right. We're not gonna get one from Kelly tonight. That's a keeper. <laughs> <laughs> well, now you know what the story meetings were like. Uh, Dingus, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, Your Highness before we get into any spoiler territory. If you haven't seen Your Highness, we're not going to spoil anything for you yet. We will once Dingus explains the the basics of the movie. So, Dingus, what is this Your Highness thing? All right. uh, This week we saw Your Highness, a 2011 fantasy action comedy movie. Oh. And drama, according to Kelly. It was a drama movie for Kelly. Uh, it was about a prince who must rescue his kidnapped bride-to-be from an evil, wicked sorcerer. Uh, the film was directed by David Gordon Green and written by Danny McBride and Ben Best. It stars McBride, James Franco, Zoe Deschanel, and Natalie Portman. It is rated R for strong, crude, yes. and sexual content, pervasive language, nudity, violence, and some drug use. When? For all those, when? <laughs> well, you're about to tell us. Yeah, you're about to tell us that, Kelly Wand, aren't you? I don't remember any of that happening. I don't know what movie he saw. I think he stepped into Hannah by mistake. <laughs> well, uh, Kelly Wand, why don't you uh, give us some spoilers? Give us a synopsis uh, and let us know when those things did happen. Oh, yeah. it's a good point. And then I can call him out on the individual uh, strikes. Yep. Is the old movie term from old Hollywood we used to describe what Dingus just did. <laughs> Uh, the Your Hynopsis, which uh, isn't as good as the source code Nopsis. But here we go. Let's just get through it so we can get to greener pastures. Get it? Uh, so this dude, Kenny Fox, is a European nobleman from southern Georgia, and his dad's the evil wizard from Golden Child. This is back when he was king, and there were two moons, like on Tatooine, where Natalie Portman fell in love with Darth Vader because he'd raped some sand doing his mom because midichlorian blood cells wrote some bullshit prophecy and snuck it into Charlie Sheen's coke. 
Skinny Brothers' power is uh, Franco, son of Pischetio, and uh, he's marrying the bug eye. Like a uh, fucking keen painting from The Happening, because she's a 32-year-old virgin, which was unusual for that time period. And they're being wedded at their wedding. But Kenny Powers is getting baked with a movie podcaster because he's not getting married. But a wizard that used to keep her prisoner that Pischetio forgot. Plus one CG spell to knock people into walls and not kill Franco. And he takes her back to the ghost tower of Inverness to eat fish sticks with his three moms. Um, and the golden child makes Kenny Powers go with Franco to find a sword made out of unicorn cocks that's hidden in a tomb of horrors under White Plume Mountain. And they take Franco's bodyguards, but discover that the old one has a vagina and another one's missing a hand and another one's black. So since each of them is crippled in some way, they're evil and they betray Franco. But Franco and Kenny Powers trick them by galloping away on some CG horses that we never see again. And then they get captured by a tribe of naked white Amazons who've never seen a man before, except for the pasty shirtless one who rules over them inside his Thunderdome with a cauldron of tapioca that turns his hand into hydras that live in the ground. But he only uses this as a last resort. Once his rock star is killed by Franco with the spike through the CG, but Franco can't hurt Hydras, only Cyclopses and Dragons, but Princess Leah's there, luckily, in a cloak, and she has a spear somehow, and she out-CGs the CG by CGing its CGs off, <laughs> CGingly, and they trick the empowering, like, sucker-punch Amazon King by running out a door in the Thunderdome that they didn't run out of before. Uh, oh, also, there's an old hemp wizard... It slipped my mind. Gave them a magic compass in exchange for a hand job that always points the way to the ghost tower. The compass, not his penis, even though the compass needle is also a penis, because they need a compass to find a tower that's like 10 miles tall. <laughs> and uh, Mila Kunis tricks Kenny Powers into giving her the compass by not having sex with him and tricks the others into not returning to camp for the rest of the night to notice that she's gone. But they trick her back by her going to the same village they're going to, the village of Homlet, where the evil bodyguards trick Franco by beating him and putting him in a leather toilet seat so they can whip him easier. Because <laughs> it's harder to whip people when they're not leather toilet seats, which I can vouch for when I was in the back of Tom's pickup truck last New Year's. How'd that get in here? <laughs> JK. It, it, it's there. Uh, anyway, so Kenny Powers and his sidekick, E.E. E. Cummings, uh, see Princess Leah in the tavern, tricking them by talking to people we're never introduced to, but she tricks them back by giving them brain damage, breaking chairs over their testicles. But they catch up with her on the Great Barrier Peaks, and they tell her they don't have the handsome member of their party anymore. So she goes with them, and they go into the Pan's Labyrinth, and Kenny Powers finds the magic sword where it's guarded by some eyes that trick you by asking you questions and accepting every answer is right. And the princess plays some music on a Zamphir she found somewhere, which distracts this minotaur that lives there, because bulls love mazes, which is why bullfights always take place in halls of mirrors in Mexico. And so her Zamfir playing distracts the cow monster long enough for it 
to distract it from raping E.E. E. Cummings for Kenny Powers to cut its CG off and tie it around as CG as a CG. And they reach the demon web pits and trick the wizard by seeing the living G out of him. And the eclipse doesn't happen after all because CG and Franco gets married and Kenny Powers is about to oil his vorpal sword when Princess Leah shows up in his bedroom with the padlock on her vagina for men in tights. She never mentioned before, so they go to trick the witch who knows the combination into giving them it by killing her. But that is a C for another G. T-E. Kelly Wand, would you like to tell me where you've received your training? The Great Barrier Peaks? The Hall of the Giant King? <laughs> I couldn't remember the other ones. Uh, you sound like you played a lot of D&D. Is that what? True? Mm-hmm. What are you talking about? I don't know what you mean. <laughs> I just made shit up. Uh, Kelly, when your synopsis was uh-huh. like the opposite of David Gordon Green's movie, Your Highness, in that the synopsis started a little slow and picked up steam, and it was awesome by the time it was over. And that's kind of the opposite of Your Highness. Yeah, my hash wore off like five minutes into me, Your Highness. <laughs> it never came back. Was it a buzzkill for you, that movie? Yeah. I was really bummed, and I thought it wasn't a very packed theater. It would, I think it came in sixth this weekend or fifth, behind Soul Surfer and mm-hmm. Insidious. Um, but it's like I heard a couple. I think I laughed twice, which is, I mean, more than I laughed during Battle L.A. But, <laughs> now, Kelly, one, are you ready for this week's contest? Which is guess whether or not Tom and Dingus liked it. Are, are you up for playing? No, neither of you liked it. Neither of you liked it. I'm sure. I'd, I'll bet money on it. Wow. Okay. So like I'll you bet were, a dollar each. A, a dollar, dollar for each. So, so I could break. Okay. So if you if all right. So if either of us likes. Wait a minute. Does that mean we have to give you money if we didn't like it? No. I have to. I'm betting. Who am I betting? I'm I betting you that you didn't like it. I'm betting the listeners. So okay. I'll bet every listener of this podcast, which <laughs> I'm sure is dozens but of people. Tom, you just admitted how you felt about it, so this isn't fair. That doesn't mean I didn't like it. I was just talking about pacing issues. Oh, okay. Say, Plus, say, he, say. he got he got really excited about making me play his game, which means he could have been sound. <laughs> Actually, this, this, is, <laughs> this is terrible for this game, because you're right. I can't imagine. I know yeah. you, I, you wouldn't like it. I can't imagine Dingus liked it. I mean, Dingus can be, surprise us sometimes. So, Dingus, did you like It's too life? enervated for any, anyone to like. That's why I'm sure. Yes, let's see. Wait, what, I don't understand what Kelly's bet was. I don't think that was going anywhere. Let, let's, let's not wager. We don't want to go there. I don't it's think too it's too easy. I'm so sure I'm right. I'm not. I'll bet any money. <laughs> There's no way you could have liked it. It's impossible, <laughs> isn't it? Do you remember what happened with Drive Angry? Yeah, yeah, but yeah, that's yeah. different. Drive Angry, Drive Angry had right. joy to it. There was some joy to Drive Angry. There was some craziness. There was some William Fickner. Where's the William Fickner in Your Highness? I don't know. I didn't see him. I saw nothing equivalent to William Fickner thrusting his badge. Where is that moment in Your Highness, Dingus? I, I challenge <laughs> that, that sounds so dirty. Where's the William Fickner in Your Highness? Uh, William Fickner was Justin Thoreau. I, th- I actually kind of liked him. I, I did, too. Was- I thought Justin Thoreau, if they had given him a bigger part, he he yeah. sort of came alive whenever Justin Thoreau was there. But wait, I got excited. Yeah, yeah, okay, back I to too. I did, too. But yeah, let's, let's get Dingus. Come on. Are you going to try to convince us? I dare you to try to convince us that you liked it. <laughs> I will be happy to do so. Go oh. ahead. Well, he's oh. saying he'd be happy to try to convince us. He's not actually saying he liked it. No. <laughs> I, I liked it very much. 
Well, okay. So, thing is, we're gonna leave you to do the podcast, and then Kelly Wan and I are gonna go hang out with the people who have taste. You go ahead. See, you guys have fun. I usually think Dingus is right. Like brighter than we are, like he tricks me in the uh, things, and now I can never take him seriously again. Yeah, I don't think I can either. He's All right, probably should. You probably should never have done so. Actually, you've disgraced so you just, your name, Dingus. Yeah, you didn't receive your training in Afghanistan. <laughs> it was Chechnya, actually, or Morn. I think Morn is the name of their town. Morn. Yeah, I don't know. Was I was I expecting like more thong from Natalie Portman in this movie than we saw in the commercial? Is that it, or was it? Well, we didn't see the commercial, so yeah. that that was not my expectation. Uh, I well, we'll get there. So I so I I hated it. I just thought it was so tedious. By the time it was over, there were some moments I enjoyed. Kelly, you said you laughed twice. I laugh. I'm easily amused. I maybe laughed eight or nine times. My audience was very willing, and some of them were very – they were very gamely about it, and they wanted to support it, and you could tell that they wanted to like it. So there was a little bit of that energy in the theater. Where was the – I want to hear Dingus def- like remind me if there was anything good in it that I can't remember. Right. So, Kelly Wan, you and me weren't into it. So, Dingus, get in here. Explain why you would recommend your, your highness to someone. Uh, I don't know – since you guys didn't like it, I don't know who I could possibly recommend it to. Yeah, who's left? Uh, it really, it really is true. And you know, when I was talking to uh, you know my wife, who I, who Wendy did not go see this, obviously. Um, but when I, when I was, you know, sorry, you know, uh, putting her to bed, say goodnight to her, she was, she was like, I can't wait to hear what Kelly thought of this movie after I described what the movie was to her in sort of my tagline version. Um, she can't. She couldn't wait to hear how Kelly felt about it. What was your tagline version, by the way? Yeah, how did you how did you explain this movie to to your wife? Uh, my tagline is this, of this is uh, "Princess Bride Made by Stoners." Mm, that's what it wishes it was. That sounds that's like what I was hoping it was going to be. Yeah, if, if someone yeah. if someone would sit down and do that, I would want to see it. That's what I was expecting, and that's what they <laughs> I think we're trying for. Um, right. and I know. Oh yeah. That's all Kelly Wan. Okay, so so you sold it to that's how you explained it to Wendy. She was like, I can't wait to hear what Kelly Wan thought, so go ahead, Dingus. That's all I had to say. What else okay, you but say? so you thought this worked on that level because I wanted Princess Bride for Stoners and I felt <laughs> and I, I agree with I think that's you're coming from the same place, Kelly Wan. I felt really cheated. They were really lazy, no energy, no imp- it was all they they relied way too okay, improvisation is an art. <laughs> I think Charlie Sheen will back me up on that. And um, supposedly <laughs> McBride and Ben Best just wrote an outline. They didn't have any script, and they improvised the whole movie. And sometimes that can work. Sometimes you get more than – like in Talladega Nights, there was a lot of improv in that. I thought was funny. But, dude, no one wanted to be there. I get the sense these costumes were like too cumbersome to wear, so they didn't have any energy to make comedy with. Okay, well, hold so. So, so Dingus, uh, did you like? So obviously, this worked for you. Uh, you you felt it was energetic. You liked the actors. Tell us how. I I just want to hear. I'm waiting to hear from someone who liked this movie. I want you to to tell me and why. Dingus you liked is it. the only one of us who's never smoked pot. Never. <laughs> I've never that I would admit publicly. Okay. I I heard that you smoked pot to Journey for the first time. Is that not true? Don't make During me whip. Don't don't make me whip out some pixies. Don't whip out anything right now. <laughs> he does don't, give hands. Don't, don't suck that. That's dead. <laughs> I, I thought this movie was hilarious. I saw it in an empty, almost empty theater. 
and uh, there was a couple of chuckleheads over who would laugh at just like the guy who was introducing the film. Um, and then a, a, like a family sitting in front of me who didn't laugh oh. at anything except for the mom who kept looking back at me and like giving me a thumbs up. And, and whenever something was funny, like we were the only what? two people who thought the film was funny. The mom um, gave you a thumbs up. Yeah, she just loved she loved me. She was just she, like she's with her family, they're not laughing. She thinks it's hilarious. I think especially and I'm I'm so happy to hear you guys liked um is it Lazier? Is that the Thoreau, Thoreau guy you're talking Star. about? Correct. Lazar. The villain. Yeah. I thought he was great. Uh he gave me I mean, he did some of the greatest stuff in there. Um and she was all in for that too. And so she I think she thought, hey, there's another guy in this theater who was a uh, kindred spirit. I thought the film was uh stunning. It was just beautifully shot. Um <laughs> That's not as funny. It's cheaper as funny. That's how they fucked it up. Well I tell your mom I, I said that. <laughs> I think I think it's a gorgeous film that uh, is that it blends uh, this sort of weird fantasy and modern sort of weird comedy, stoner comedy, and and does so admirably. There's stuff okay. I don't like about it. Hold I don't I don't think I, it's you know something I love, but I I really had a great time watching it. If, okay, hold that, thought, hold that thought. Hold that thought one second. Uh, Dingus, stand by for one second. Kelly Wand, real quick. Do you think he's maybe griefing us? Like I you- think that mom was coming on to him, and he's just covering his tracks. No, no, I wonder if he's – is he really, like, pulling our leg? Like, this is, like, some meta level thing? He wouldn't go on this long. He doesn't have really? a Really? I don't know. He can he can commit. When has he ever th- – he's never shown this kind of stamina before. Really? Yeah. I think you're right. Not you're my- right. <laughs> Only we're capable of this. All right. All right. You're back, Dingus. We, we had to work out some business real quick. Uh, so you guys don't think it looks good? No. <laughs> I think it looks awesome, but that's not funny. It should have looked like a cheap-ass 80s movie. And it okay, so one of you thinks it looks bad. The other thinks it looks too good. So uh, yes. who can trust the two of you? I didn't Honestly. think it looked awesome. I thought, okay, here's where I thought it looked good. I mean, the CG stuff I couldn't care less about. Whatever town they shot at where they come to the town, like there was one shot of that town overall. And I was like, hey, that looks good. But as far as most of the generally just running around in the forest stuff, looked completely unremarkable to me. The CG looked unremarkable. I, I have one shot I want to talk about where I thought, oh, yeah, David Gordon Green directed this. But otherwise, for the most part, I never got the sense that he really had – that he, he was present or that he really got no. much of himself. No passion. No so passion. I, I didn't think it looked gorgeous, Dingus. I mean, I, I just – I I don't know. I don't – I maybe it's just because I, I watch, like, so many sort of middling budget movies and I can see when someone's just got a patch of forest. And I I don't know. I, I didn't think it looked good, I'm afraid. Um, and I, I'm a huge fan of these people. I can't believe how little I enjoyed a movie made by David Gordon Green with Danny McBride. And Dingus, let me throw it at you this way. How would you say it compares to, because I think you and I have differing amounts of affection for Foot Fist Way, and this is very much, uh, you know, Danny McBride and Ben Best, uh, basically Foot Fist Way and the series Eastbound and Down are both something that they are creatively responsible for. I think they're the main writers on both of those. And if I'm not mistaken, Dingus, I don't think you were as into Foot Fist Way as much as I was. Like, I adore that movie. And so maybe that was coloring some of my expectation coming into this. But how did it work for you in comparison to Foot Fist Way? Foot Fist Way is a film I've come to uh, appreciate more on subsequent viewings. Uh, real quick, uh, that thought. Kelly Wand, have you seen Foot Fist Way? 
No, I don't see movies with vowels and consonants. <laughs> All right, so go ahead, Dingus. So, so, how, uh, so Kelly Wan, we won't try not to. We won't spoil it too much for you. But is uh, it good? You guys like it? I love Foot Fist Way. I adore Foot Fist Way. Even and I think Dingus would even agree that you should see Foot Fist Way. That you would appreciate it. Um, you would say that, right, I, Dingus? Definitely, definitely. I didn't get it the first time through, and it just grated on me a little bit, and it seemed a little too. Um, and this is going to be a selling point, I think, probably for Kelly. It seemed a little too mean-spirited and <laughs> raw. To Where me. was that during your highness? There was no bite. Well, hold that, hold that thought, because I want to hear. Is, so you thought that about Foot Fist Way, and I kind of agree with where Kelly was going. There, there wasn't much of that there. There wasn't that bite in so your highness. So that yeah. maybe that's kind of. So, so how do those reconcile in your mind? I mean, like, like this worked for you better than Foot Fist Way. I don't know that I, I think that's a little apple and oranges. I mean, okay, fair enough. I I liked this for for what it was. I like the sense of I'm watching a Princess Bride for adults. And if you and if you're asking where teeth are, I mean, watch Princess Bride and watch this. I mean, this this it might not have teeth, but it's got a lot of vulgarity. And I think vulgarity can substitute for that in a certain way. That's all it had. That it, 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 that was a crutch because they had no other forms of humor. And I like vulgarity. I'm a I'm, I'm a huge fan. I think swearing is cool and funny, but there was no glaring. And I have to throw in my lot with you on that one as well, Kelly Wand, because the vulgarity was at times its saving grace. You know, when right. when when the entire gag is magic. Pause, 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 motherfucker. You know, I, I laugh at that, but I realize it's kind of weak and there's not a lot of supporting. There's no other jokes surrounding it, right? It's by uh, itself. You know, handle your shit, Flavius, is an awesome line, but I, you know, there, there wasn't much there around it. Calling the ritual the fucking. I love that. That was I great. like that too. But yeah. it, it just was like vulgarity. Like the, the vulgarity. There was nothing else going on. Right? Right. I disagree. I totally okay. disagree with you guys. So give us so Dingus, what then did you appreciate beyond that vulgarity? Tell tell us a bit more about what what you appreciated in it. Can I actually make well, a guess, Dingus? Go ahead. Did you? I, I was wondering if you might have like really liked the because one of the the awesome things that makes Pineapple Express work, and we're all fans of that here, is yeah. the chemistry between Seth Rogen and James Franco, which was also something I felt was a little missing here, partly because it was underdeveloped. Um, but was that something that worked for you, Dingus? Uh, you mean the the chemistry between Franco and McBride? Exactly. Yeah, the the two leads just sort of working with each other, their relationship. Not really. That was a little dissonant for me, you know. And i i watched uh, I watched some of Pineapple Pineapple Express tonight, and um, and while I'm relieved that Seth Rogen wasn't in this, I don't I don't see the kind of chemistry that uh, James Franco and Seth Rogen had in this. Right. I see. I see them. I see that I see Danny McBride and James Franco sort of uh, bumping heads more than that. Yeah, yeah. I kind of thought um, James Franco was a little wasted. Like it was a waste of his yeah. time to have him be the straight man. Yeah, they should have they should have swapped roles. <laughs> Just saying. James Franco's so good. I, I, that doesn't that I never kind of felt. I never felt that way. I thought he was. I thought he was great. I mean, I didn't uh, feel that way at all. He was milk toast in this. This because Pineapple Express was the movie where I kind of realized he was awesome, and then this movie—if I'd seen this before Pineapple Express, I wouldn't—I wouldn't have 
Like but James Franco does this great thing of of the of the peace of the guy making peace, and there's these, these moments where he's he's trying to make peace with his brother, and he just loves his brother, and he's like, oh, why the sourpuss? Come on, uh, it, it, he's just got this great earnest peacemaker thing that he does, mm-hmm. and and he's just this this innocent that he does perfectly, and I thought he was great as as that sort of. Uh, as this spin on a hero, not a big dumb blonde, but but sort of a peaceful, na- naive almost. And I kind of wish that I mean I, I I agree that that's what they were going for, and he was kind of doing that in a bubble. I wished that he had had some sense of more of a sense of rapport with Danny McBride. Uh, I, I almost watching it get the feeling that Danny McBride kind of hurt the movie in that. He seemed to bring to it just his his foot fist way character, and I'm not sure that really worked there. Mm. Um, there was no sense really of the the guy in foot fist way, and, and basically Danny McBride's shtick is this imperious obliviousness, uh, just the total asshole petty tyrant lording it over uh, his loser friends. I mean, I think that's kind of the appeal of, of the stuff he does in Foot Fist Way and Eastbound and Down. Whereas here, it seemed like the script wanted someone who was more vulnerable, more sympathetic. Um, mm-hmm. And that sort of interplay would have worked better with what James Franco w- was trying to do, I think. Yeah. Uh, but I just feel like Danny McBride had a little bit like the fact that he was writing it and he was just doing his Eastbound and Down character, even where it didn't really fit. Um I, I just felt there were some missed opportunities with the casting and the chemistry there. He could have uh, made it fit, though. He could have been consistently eastbound and down all the way. But instead, they they cheese out, and he's all, oh, okay. Like, in the, at a big point in the movie, too, like where he's supposed to um, choose between purgatory and whatchamacallit. <laughs> and he's all, yeah. And he does the right thing. I don't want right. to see McBride do the right thing. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. I hate redemption. I hate it in comedies. It sucks. It always sucks. <laughs> Well, I want to I want to highlight especially with Danny McBride. And I want to highlight uh, f- for me a perfect example of where Danny McBride works and where he doesn't work, and the distinction. And Kelly Wand, you haven't seen Foot Fist Way, so this may not work for you. But the the same scene exists in both movies, and it doesn't work in one movie for me, and it does in the other. And the scene is the campfire with Natalie Portman, where he is hitting on her, and it's it's almost the exact same sort of story beat as a fantastic scene in Foot Fist Way, where he's invited one of his students in to talk to her in the office, and he's hitting on her. And it works incredibly in Foot Fist Way because it's so consistent with his character, because we have learned a little bit about his vulnerability. He doesn't have to show it. The movie has showed us this. We've already seen this. We know it as like an independent observer. So there's subtext in that scene. There's a a fantastic comedic timing. The actress that he's working with, who's been in other movies, she's in Hot Tub Time Machine. I've seen her in a few other things. She's fantastic. Her comedic timing is great. Her and Danny McBride work work wonderfully together in that scene in Foot Fist Way. Whereas Natalie Portman, I don't think she was really that hip to what they were doing. And maybe that was intentional because the character comes from somewhere else and she's the more earnest one. But those two, Danny McBride hitting on the chick scenes... One of them was just a complete failure for me, as it, as was the case in Your Highness, and the other a just overwhelming success, as was the case in Foot Fist Way. Uh, and I couldn't help but think of that watching that scene in, in uh, Your Highness. That's that's great. I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, 
I can't remember what is he doing. I mean, he's he's behind his desk in Foot Fist Way, right? Yeah, and he comes around in the office. Mm-hmm. And he, but he, what is he doing physically? Is he leaning forward or is he leaning back? Oh, well, he comes around and sits on the front of the desk in front of her. There's all this stuff with invading her physical space and where the, right. the, the hug slash kiss thing. Uh, right. He's using his body. I mean, he, there's definite like blocking there. It's a very physical scene with how he moves and how she reacts. Uh, in and that's, that's, you're so right about how, wow, I didn't even think about this. You're so right about how it doesn't work in your highness because he's totally leaning back like this is a sure thing. Right. And nothing about his body is indicating that he has to work for this. I mean, he has a couple of cute lines about I've got somebody dead in my family too. Right. But, the, but there's nothing in that physically that indicates she's, she's prey and I have to pursue her. He's just leaning back like she's just going to fall on my fat ass on her own. <laughs> um, whereas that, that scene in the office is total uh, predator. You know, he's leaning forward. He's, he's desperate, but he's hiding that desperation. He's, yeah, yeah. he's using his authority in, in a very real and tangible way. And it's, it's awful and it's uncomfortable. But in the scene at the campfire, it's just so casual. And it's just like, why would she ever go for him in a million years? Well, she's not, but then she does. So she would have. So the whole scene's pointless. I mean, I really think it's a matter of it, it's kind of an underwritten, underperformed movie. I mean, I, I don't think yeah. the, the script is that aware of it. I don't think the actors play with it that much. Uh, Lazy. And, uh, and, and for me, all that was left was some funny vulgarity, uh, which I did appreciate. Dingus, can you give us – here's one of the things that I, I am glad I saw Your Highness for is you guys quoting lines from it in the future. <laughs> Oh, me and Dingus? Sure, yeah. Give us a line from Foot Fit, uh, not Foot Fit, from uh, Your Highness, Callie Wand. What's the wizard say? Secret, secret shirtless. What's he, doesn't he have something he tells? I, like <laughs> I don't know. I think a lot of them are going to be Justin Thoreau lines. By the way, just so you guys know, I recognize Justin Thoreau from one of my favorite movies. He plays an Irish thug in the Charlie's Angels movie, the second one. He was great. Oh, in right. See, you're pretend. Yeah, don't pretend, Kelly Wan. No, no, no. Because he gets uh, he's Drew Barrymore's. Uh, exactly. And he gets his ass kicked. There's an awesome fight scene between him and Drew Barrymore. He kills Crispin Glover's character. Spoiler alert. Don't you spoil the Charlie's Angels movies. Everyone pretend you didn't hear that. So here's here's like I also I loved his delivery. Like he really was working their their script. I loved the because if you're a vagina. Is anything like my hand, yeah. there will be no problem. You know, I love the little one, two, three setup. That, that delivery was just so good. Like, he was so invested. I loved the stuff that he was doing there. Uh, and, when, yeah. when, and when he says to her, I, I, I can't do that. It's too mean. And he switches his yeah. face off. <laughs> exactly. Right, right. Yeah. And, then, and then he tells her this whole lie about all the orgies. And she says, I don't believe you. <laughs> That's yeah. what it's like in the outside world. You know? <laughs> yeah. And the I, way he looks, uh, all the looks he gives and all the little ways he carves that scene out are great. Yeah. I wish yeah. the movie had just been about him and, and Zoe. I know. Deschanel. Like I Zoe totally Deschanel, they didn't, they didn't give her much. But my fa- I, this, think. I think this speaks volumes for the movie. My favorite point in the movie, uh, and, and I think the overall problem with the movie is the same problem I have with other like sort of satires like this. Like I, I call it the galaxy quest syndrome because I, that's one of the early movies where I realized, Hey, you can't do that. It's where the movie is, is making fun of, of something that it's, it's pretending to mock something. And then it becomes that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, like 
like your highness is pretending to mock these fantasy things and in the end we're supposed to actually care about the character yeah oh they got married yeah it actually becomes serious so it's mocking something that becomes that i i didn't fall for it Fuck but that. what and and i think the main thing it needed was more room to let actors like zoe deschanel uh justin thoreau certainly james franco and danny mcbride because they're capable of it it needed more room to let these people breathe and have little moments and one of the few times where i noticed these little moments was because i was so bored with the movie it's like me watching tv screens to see the fake newscasts in the back of whatever salt or whatever that was so at the very end when everybody's reconciling at one point i look in the background and zoe deschanel she's sitting there hanging on james franco because they're together and she's just playing with the little metal studs on his armor like she's like what is that and she's just picking at it and it's this great character moment where mm-hmm. I, I just wish the movie had had breathed a little bit more and showed us great stuff like that from these actors if they'd been more energetic and invested in what they were doing um did either of you catch that she's just like no. messing around with the little stuff it was so cute uh, well it was part of her character that she she'd been in that tower so long yep. she didn't know normal did things like at the at the dinner table <laughs> she was like doing the fork in her hair like the little mermaid so yeah I, and then I he goes that, fucking I, idiot <laughs> that was and funny. i loved how I like her as that. an actor was so invested that she was going to keep doing those little things no matter whether the the filmmaker honored them or not yes yes uh, and you're i think you're right tom i think that that they could have spent more time honoring that kind of thing and well, then no, nobody gets a good payoff either courtney never had a payoff scene it almost felt like that thing with uh, the with Natalie Portman coming into his chambers at the end was like shot later and added because of focus groups or something. And really? They it. Well, I don't know. It just felt like the movie had because ended we earlier. Can't, we can't end it with jerking off to a lizard, I guess. <laughs> yeah, oh, I, I don't know. It's more assy. You know, I disagree with you guys that it was all vulgar comedy. And some of the stuff we've just been talking about. Uh, sort of goes against that, I and mean, including, I mean, you, you know, Tom, you ask about lines that you could say. There's plenty in this movie. I mean, okay, and, and that give me one. Plenty. Okay, okay. Here's one. Okay, unless Kelly just wants to quit right now. Um, there's a. <laughs> <laughs> you hurt my feelings. Now I'm going to hurt yours too. What? Mm, that sounds vaguely familiar, but I don't remember it being funny. <laughs> Can you say well, it? It wasn't, a, it it wasn't hilarious, but here's here's th- another line by the same character, and and this character I really like, and this wasn't vulgar humor. It was um, no, it's the same betrayal. It only counts as one. Oh, the guy's funny. The I brothers, right? Right. I'll give you it was, that. It was Bormont, you know, the guy who was in Band of Brothers. Uh, yeah, Band of Brothers. He was also in. He did some voice work in this great animated show my kid watches called Phineas and Ferb and I really liked that guy and there's a great there's a payoff for him I mean he, you, and, and I liked sort of the the little bits of humor he had that, that wasn't all vulgarity it was it was great little bits of of subtlety in there that they, they, I don't think you guys are giving any credit I like the barbarian too would you it agree? Wasn't just fuckable or whatever that the, the fuck the fucking would you agree though dingus that the filmmaker didn't appreciate what they had I think his name is, is it Damian Lewis what's that actor's name uh, yeah, I think you're right, actually. Yeah. I, I don't think the movie appreciated. I mean, the, the guy gets like a couple of moments and, and, and his payoff is, hey, look, he's gay. I mean, I just thought that was really like weak. Like, no, I love you like a man loves a man. I mean, I, I that was just okay, let's go to let's go to a gay joke. I mean, that, that was another example where I agree, Dingus, there were good touches. That actor's good. I would have liked to have seen him play with the material more. I'll bet he could have done a good job with it. But the the big moment that I remember from him is, oh, they're going with the joke that he's gay. 
I, I just I felt like it, the filmmaker didn't appreciate that actor. They didn't give him good material. And, and that ultimately it, it was just kind of underdone. That line doesn't even make much sense, too. Like, now we don't know what that guy's motivation was. They ruined that character. Yes, that was the guy from Dreamcatcher. And that makes perfect sense. And what would have been cool would have been if James Franco had said, oh, I wish you would have said that to me. You know, if, if that would have been the broken expectation at the end, not, not James Franco going, oh. But or they get saying, if you would have told me that, then we could have had something. I mean, I, mean I, I think you're right, Tom. I think ending it on a homophobic joke is, is sad. Yeah. And there's a number of th- sad things. I don't find uh, child molesting funny. I Ooh, that was weird, wasn't it? Yeah, that was I really find, weird. Uh, I do. I thought that was rape. great. <laughs> I don't find rape jokes or, or things that are bordering on rape to be funny. So, so those are things that really uh, turn me off. I don't find those things funny at all. And I think that those are, those are weak things in the movie. Let me. I just want to, and I want to hear about uh, you on this, Kelly Wan. So the obvious implication there is that the the weird wizard puppet molested James Franco as a child. I didn't think that was funny, but in a way, I did. <laughs> well, I was going to say, in a way, I kind of admired that they were because I was looking for bite. I was looking for some kind of teeth. Yeah. This movie to hit somehow. Plus, it was a really ridiculous-looking puppet too. So you're, it's the idea that that thing molested him, which to me was even funnier. But I'm sorry, I cut you off. What were you saying? Uh, just in a way, I I was kind of respected that, you know, I respected that they went there, even if it didn't work for me, even if it felt icky for me. My thinking at that point was kind of like, okay, if they're going to push the envelope like this, maybe down the line there's going to be something that I really enjoy that's pushing the envelope. I'm not enjoying this. I don't think it's funny, but this this kind of in a weird way gives me hope for the rest of the movie. I also liked I liked the, the that part too because it was also um, their reaction to it and Danny McBride finding out this information about his brother because up till then it's like. James Franco right. is like the saintly brother and Danny McBride's the the angry, pissed off uh, loser. And then he finds out he's the one that wasn't molested by wizards. <laughs> so in a way, James Franco is the dumbass. I, I don't understand how that's any more teeth than than Natalie Portman saying, uh, you know, my, my destiny in life is to stop people from fucking to make dragons. I mean, how is that more teeth oriented than any other vulgarity in the movie? Is it just where you guys? I don't think that does have teeth. I think that's I think that's a perfect example of a joke that's just the vulgarity's there and the actress can't make it funny. She's not funny. Uh, Maybe like that's I, it. Like, like Dingus, I think what you're what you're highlighting there is that's that's vulgarity without teeth and without being funny because the actress isn't really it doesn't play to her strength. I mean, I can uh, okay. see okay. that Ben Best and Danny McBride write that down, and they think it's funny. And you know what? I'll bet if Justin Thoreau had that line, he could do something with it. Yeah. But Natalie Portman saying, you know, my quest is to stop people from fucking to make dragons. I, Sorry, Natalie. Awesome work in Black Swan, but uh, this isn't your uh, forte. <laughs> yeah. She's uh, uh, I don't know. I think she was miscast. I, I was agree. glad. I, th- I thought she was super hot, and she got the <clears throat> the earnestness that she had to get. I mean, I think she's supposed to be the the straight chick in this yeah. movie who's kicking ass, yeah. and she she did a great job with that. And I I think it's it's unfair for us to expect. Some, I, I don't know what you expect her to do with that line. I thought it was funny the way it was, and she's totally earnest. She's she's not winking at all, and well, and I love that about her. But but the problem thing is, is that line is winking. It's my quest to stop people from fucking to make dragons. That's yeah, the you're line. right. That's, That's the, nice. so the line they give her winks, and she doesn't have much control over it. I kind of feel bad she didn't write this, but that's the script, not understanding the character. And you're right. If she yeah. just played the straight man, she wouldn't have said that. 
uh, you know, that you're right. You're right. And, and the line where she talks about her beaver too, yeah, I mean, that's right, more, right. more of something that comes from that Charlie Sheen movie, hot shots with Valerie Galena. Galena. You, <laughs> you expect, you expect her to say that line, that, that goofy, you know, what do you do with, uh, with an elephant with, with three balls? You, you know, you, you walk him and pitch to the rhino. It, it's that kind of sort of <laughs> deadpan joke. Hey, that's that, a good joke <laughs> that that actor can carry off, but you shouldn't expect what Natalie Portman right. to do is doing. Yeah, you're right, Tom. And I do agree that she did look good. Like when she first yeah. appeared and you could see her eyes and she's a badass fighter. And there were times certainly like, OK, this is going to sound a little weird. But one of my problems with uh, with Black Swan was that she obviously worked really hard on her body. And the movie was a little coquettish about showing too much of it. So when she strips down in, in this, I was like, wow, she really did work hard. She looks great. You know, she's got she looks like a warrior chick, you know, whereas Angelina Jolie in the last few things we've seen, I thought looked a little gaunt kind of I'm mm-hmm. like yeah she looks awesome and if they'd just been consistent with this straight role you know for her I, I think it would have worked better um, but that thong scene really bugged me a because it's the only thing that it, it's like right from the trailer it's like oh it's the shot of her in the thong and it's like there's no payoff to it like she, she turns back you don't even know if there's if she sees them and they're just like oh yeah dude look she's got well, the payoff in that scene, you know, their punchline to close the scene is she's looking over here, don't move, and then they strike a pose. You know, that's that's <laughs> that's so not, they, they get that's right. They get Natalie Portman to strip down, and right. that's what they want to do with the scene. Yeah, yeah. The end. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that's funny. That's a T Rex no. joke. Come on. Boo. C minus. What a is waste. That, is that a T Rex joke? I didn't think T Rex. I just thought like. These these are kids that think if if you can't see them if they can't see you you can't see them or something like the equivalent yeah, of yeah that's that too and I okay. like that so I mean, kind of yeah. no, and so, that's it that's uh, it's so puerile and he has no experience in quests whatsoever and that his his brother who I, you know I don't understand uh, how James Franco is his older brother <laughs> but, that his, yeah. <laughs> but his brother just is like okay I'll do that. <laughs> Dick, it's the movie you're describing I want to see. I like this idea of a prince's bride for stoners, but I, 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 I want to see the movie that, that you got to see. I just feel I like that's I, what I can't believe you guys didn't think it was good looking. I mean, it's the same DP who's done all of his films, and I felt like uh, his name's Timor, and I felt like um, David Gordon Green said, you know, shoot something lush. And there were a couple of shots. I mean, early on, when the when the carriage is first leaving the castle, there's this great shot from under a bridge where some wench is like in the water, like fishing or getting water. It's okay. just so gorgeous. I'll give you and that. And there's these passing shots that are clearly sort of quotes from Lord of the Rings, but there's so many of them that it's that it's like obviously meant to joke on Lord of the Rings, the, these, these flying over mountaintops and, and valley shots that look beautiful. And I don't understand how you, you don't, I, I mean, I wrote down during the movie, this, it was just gorgeous to me. This, the, the shots, the way it looked and, and even the, the lightning finger stuff I thought looked beautiful. And you guys didn't even like the CG. Sorry. I just don't think Here's, it's funny. Here's, I think it looked fine. Here's where I felt, though, I, where I, I get what you're saying, Dingus, and I felt this way, and I think maybe it's just that the movie lost me, so I didn't really care that they had spectacular scenery, but that's a fair point. But here's where early on I felt it was gorgeous, and I felt like, yes, David Gordon Green is directing this movie. When we're at the wedding, 
and he's had his feelings hurt. He's not going to be at the wedding. And instead he goes and he gets high with an orc and they run around and chase the sheep. I loved the way they cut mm-hmm. to that. I loved the way there was no sound to it. And it was just them freely running around on the fields, chasing the sheep, just stoned out of their gourd. That was a beautiful moment. Takes me back. <laughs> <laughs> But that I felt was like, okay, yeah, this is this is David Gordon Green. Uh, there are a few uh, occasionally he's done a few episodes of Eastbound and Down where I get the same sense, like, wow, yeah, this is a shot. This is a David Gordon Green scene. Uh, so I just I wanted more of those, and I felt like I didn't get them. Um, Did you guys not like the Martiti stuff, the hands, that whole hand in the cauldron thing? Mm, it's all CG. I mean, not yeah, really. Yeah, CG's it's not it, funny. You know it's what? Funny. It's such cool idea it was a cool idea i'll grant you that and here's mm-hmm. where i felt it, it it failed is in the end when he dies his face falls into the tapioca and i thought yeah. a giant face would pop right out, and they nope. would go with this consistent idea but i guess they didn't have the cg budget or something I or the wit like, too maybe or the wit but it's also like i've talked about you know when we talked about the t-rex attack in cg uh you know what can you do with a dragon fight to make it interesting most of the time nothing uh, and that's what this did is, you know, they wave around. It's like Kelly said in the synopsis, they're CG and the CG, CG Lee. Uh, it just is just jumping around and then, OK, now one hand's cut off. You know okay. what? It, it was an opportunity to mock CG. Even They could have done that in that yeah. scene. They could have just gone, look how stupid it is that we're fighting a fucking Hydra. But that is a great D&D idea, though. Boy, I wish I'd thought of that when I was a DM. Haha, <laughs> mm. you're DM. It, you're right about the the face thing, because because I think that's definitely where the scene was going to go, and I think they cut away from it yeah. because he, he he falls in. The music is still building to that moment, and then they just run away. Right. <laughs> and, and it's like, wait, guys, there's still a scene. Can you get? <laughs> we had another effect. We were gonna. Do. Uh, okay, never mind. <laughs> uh, Kelly Wan, can you give us a line? Courtney sucked the venom. One, two, three, not only you and me, got 180 degrees, and I'm caught in between, counting one, two, three, feet apart, every day, Do you want to do over, or you're okay with that one? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> do, you, you, do you want to do anything with James Franco, I can't suck my own venom? What a coincidence, I was just about to finish thinking of you. I was just about to start. No, wait. Oh, I think you're right. Yeah, I think you're right. He's right. finishing. He's already started when the scene. See, there's some teeth. Yeah, I like that. Always... One of his first lines in the movie is fucking idiot. When he's watching her play with the fork. <laughs> that was kind of good. Dingus, I, I like Dingus it. Dingus make me feel bad. It's like if Dingus can make me remind me of like 10 of the things that are that funny, then I'll have to go. Well, all right. No, I think I think you guys are right on this one and I'm wrong. That's fine. No, but I. It was so no, can't miss. It was so can't miss. God damn no it! Right and wrong. Actually, what's wrong is that we didn't see Hannah this week. That's the only wrong of. Uh, I want them to do Your Highness all over. Just read. Just seriously, like that's a mulligan. Okay. Just so David Gordon Green. Yeah. If David Gordon Green is listening, we're giving you a mulligan. Dingus, even same Dingus, budget, okay with same cast, right. same writers. Everyone's the same. Same crew. Same CG. Well, um, they're remaking um, the Arthur that they just remade. They're remaking it for next month again. <laughs> so I think that we're on a faster pace for remakes. So I think good, we can good. expect that. Hey, who's, people- it, who's in the new Arthur, Dingus? Who's the new Arthur after Russell Brandt? I think Kelly Wand. Oh, uh, typecasting. 
Hey, no one believed me when I tried to say that there was an Arthur 2 called Arthur 2 on the rocks, and I was laughed at. What are you talking about? Everybody knows about that movie. I know, right? It was by the chick who knew the Kevin Klein joke I did a couple weeks ago, which is really obscure. So I go, oh, she'll get the Arthur 2 thing, and then nothing. She'd look up. Boring. Interesting, yeah. You need to work on your material, Kelly Wand. Arthur 2. (laughs) Love on the rocks. Uh, Dingus, what's our three by three this week? I think you're in uh, charge here. Someone, someone, take over this podcast. Dingus, what do you got for us? And Kelly, uh, this week, Kelly Wand hates it. I can tell. It just, <laughs> we'll see. Just what? Too much work? It seems like something we've already done. <laughs> Dingus kind of had that disclaimer last week. Though. Oh, did he? Yeah. he already, this is so what my funny. line is something we've already done. Oh. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I'm done. This is your three favorite real moments. Uh, our three by three for this uh, this week is. I didn't understand favorite. the topic. I don't think, but I was afraid to ask for clar- further clarification tonight because I thought you guys would go just listen to the podcast from last week and we explain it fine, and then you guys. Well, Diggs, does it need any explanation? Can you tell us a bit about what so you mean by Anna Jones? Something can't have them off the table. Can you well, tell us what... a bit about what you mean by real moments? Not to uh, to do exactly what Kelly Wan said I was going to do, but I will do that. Is that uh, I did listen to <laughs> that part again, and and we did pretty much explain it. Um, sorry, Kelly. Who has that kind of time? <laughs> That's right. That, those two minutes are well spent. Uh, it's it's those moments in a movie um, that look like they might have been a, mis- a mistake, and indeed they might have been an actual mistake. Uh, a flub or somebody almost breaking that the filmmaker nonetheless decided to keep in because uh, he liked what it lended to the film or the, the, that particular take was so powerful or so uh, worked so well that that moment is fine or that even makes the take this, these moments that seem like they're outside the film, that, that they're, they're, really happening whether they are or not you when you're watching them you feel like hey wait a minute that that seems so real it seemed like you know it seems a little bit outside the film and yet they left it in and i so for the for the record i i love this because of uh well we'll say but i i rare i this was fantastic for me well you get to go first and dingus you even said it you felt like in in a way it was related to the uh like non faked physical bits where Things like Alec Guinness does the little hand wave, things that are not fake. So in trying to keep it separate from that, I, I really like what I came up with. I, I don't like my number three so much, but I love my number one and my number two. And I kind of wish I could have made a whole list from what I did there, but I couldn't. So what I have for my number three uh, is a, a rather I, I didn't want to do this because there are so many little moments like this that I think we've talked about before and that Dingus, you and I have shared when we talk about movies. But my number three has to be Angelica Houston slapping Gene Hackman a little bit too hard in Royal Tenenbaums during the scene where he's telling her that he has cancer and that he's going to die. And then he's like, no, I didn't really. And she's, and she's like, you didn't? And he's like, well, OK, yeah, I do. But and, and she finally she's supposed to just slap him and she hits him way too hard. It's a hell of a wallop, and he he almost breaks character, but he actually says, God damn. He says that, and then he delivers his line, and they kind of dub out the goddamn, and they keep the take. And Gene Hackman 
you know, he stays in character. He goes with it and it works. You know, she is so taken aback. She's so into the moment and he's really not expecting just like the character doesn't expect that character's reaction. Gene Hackman, the actor, is not expecting the reaction from Angelica Houston, the actress. Uh, so I love the reality in that moment. And I love watching that scene. I love his reaction. I love how it plays into the scene. Um, and it's just an example of an actor kind of stepping over the line, but it works. And there are lots of little things like this in movies. And this would have to be one of my favorite because I didn't use these for my one and two. I have something different, a different agenda for my one and two. But that would be my number three real moment where Gene Hackman gets hit so hard that he goes, God damn. <laughs> and they have to dub that out. It's on the experts. If you have the Criterion Royal Tenenbaums, I think there is an undubbed uh, or an, an, an un, where the sound isn't edited. You can see a take of that and you can hear him mutter. <laughs> and disbelief at how hard he's been slapped. Why didn't they just leave the goddamn in? And then that's part of the character. I think I, my guess is that Wes Anderson sort of thought that Royal Tenenbaum isn't that coarse, maybe. Um, I could be wrong about that. That character was, wasn't he? Well, he's he's rough, but I mean, goddamn is a it's there's there's a there's a bit of an edge to it that I don't know that Royal has. I could be wrong. Um, maybe it's I don't know, Kelly. Let's blame the rating system. <laughs> They're okay. your favorite villains, so let's go with that. Because it would have made <laughs> Royal Tenenbaums rated R. It's already got smoking in it. Once you get smoking and the Lord's name in vain, R rating. The Lord's name. <laughs> That's not even a name. His uh, name's I'd, not I'd, the Lord. And maybe, you know what, I could be right. Maybe they just turn the sound down. So maybe he says it, but it's really quiet. So in the, the little takes where they explain that Gene Hackman was really taken aback, they turn the sound up. But I don't think you can hear him say... God damn, in the actual movie. Because uh, it's almost like he's going to stop the take. It's almost like he's going to say, God damn, that, why did you hit me so hard? But he stops himself and goes on with the line. So I, I don't know. Because uh, he's a professional. But when Ron Perlman said it, oh, never mind. <laughs> That's great. And they're, they're both veteran actors. It's not like she's some noob and, right. and then he would be like, really, are we going to do this? <laughs> and it, it, she's somebody who has a lot of experience in has worked with a lot of people. And so you could sort of see him reacting to that and going, I gotta, I gotta give it as I get. <laughs> right. I can't bail out. Bruce Campbell uh, said he always gets slapped super hard by Jennifer Jason Lee. And uh, what's the Paul Newman one? Hudsucker proxy. I want to tell a story about our friend who has been in a few movies. We have a friend named Brian Casp who moved to Prague, and he was in Hellboy. He, he got to carry around the body on his back, like the, the resurrected corpse on, on his back. And he's been in a, seen him in a few other movies, got a little part as a cop in Running Scared, a movie that we, that we love. I was doing theater once with Brian Casp, and oh, for Pete's sake, I can't remember what the play was. It was some Shakespeare play where Brian Casp is supposed to be a fop, and the guy who ran the theater company, uh, I hope he's not listening, but he was a fellow who was pretty full of himself, and he would always Racist. give himself the lead parts, and he was playing – he was way too old to play the kind of parts he would play, but he didn't care. Uh, he was the, the he was lording it over this company. So me and Brian Caspin, this guy – and there's, there's several. You know, we're in a Shakespeare play, and Brian Caspin is supposed to be the outrageous fop. And at one point, the fellow who runs the company – and let's just say his name is Joe. I don't want to call anyone out. So <laughs> you could tell that Joe was a little bit resentful of, of how much attention Brian was getting. He was the comic relief, and he was really funny. So at one point during the play, this hadn't been blocked. Brian Casp gets a great laugh that makes Joe's character look ridiculous. 
And Joe, out of insecurity and this weird recklessness, slapped Brian on stage. And I remember seeing that and thinking, what the hell are you doing? And Brian then did the most awesome thing you could ever do in that situation. And he slapped Joe back and got an even bigger laugh. (laughs) I loved that moment. Sorry to go there. So that's how actors fight. Interesting. (laughs) That was an actor's fight. And our friend Brian Cass, I see him in movies every now and then. God bless him. He seems to be doing very well out there. But I always so fondly remember seeing him do that. He got slapped and he didn't break. He did exactly what his character would have done. And he made the character look even the the person he was with look even more ridiculous by playing on that moment. So you guys just made me think of that. So wait so there were only two slaps and then the other guy didn't he shut the other guy down the other guy was like i'm gonna upstage him and make the scene about a slap and brian did what his character would have done and slapped him back and basically ended the scene as the guy on top and and got the the laugh i just i loved that that instinct it was lovely but then afterwards did they like yeah we were awesome together oh sure well that's how actors work yeah Yeah. actors always think they're awesome together so Hmm. All right. So anyway, so that's my number three. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not. Don't get me started on theater stories. Uh, so my, <laughs> what is your number three real moment that may or may not involve Brian Casp slapping someone? Oh, uh, well, that's my number two and one. Thanks. For <laughs> that. Um, OK, I think I did this all wrong, but this isn't this is one of the ones I didn't do wrong. So we'll worry about it later. OK, I worry. I mean, pretended. It. Is this uh, the opening credits to Halloween four? <laughs> First off, those were the same credits in five. Oh, never mind. Uh, wait, was that dumb? That was pretty dumb. I guess you're right. No, um, I don't know. All right, my number three. Tom's gonna hate all these, but maybe this will set the stage for Tom's reactions to these, so that'll be good. Um, is from American movie. Is when uh, <laughs> it's real. It's a documentary. I would hope it's real. <laughs> Right, but I know by your standard that means it's not a movie because That's documentaries use a different technology called fairy dust that you snort. Documentaries are not actors acting. Documentaries are documenting reality. So oh, by I see. Nature, they it's are real actors. There is, for instance, film doesn't matter. Well, for instance, Kelly Wan, there is nothing as real in an actual movie as there is, for instance, in American movie when Mark Borchardt is like washing Uncle Bill. That moment is real because it's real. You see. As far as but, but somebody in American movie has appeared as an actor in other movies, so it's okay. Ah, uh, well, both of Mike Schenk has had roles. Mike Schenk has been in uh, what's that? Uh, in, anyway, yeah, Mark Borchardt and Mike Schenk have uh, careers. Hmm. All right, well, which I'm sorry. So, which moment is it? it, it did I did I did I actually? I didn't mean to spoil you, but I actually had a note here to talk about that. Uh, well, I think we'd mentioned different. I think you your note probably pertains to the chalkboard scene, but my favorite scene in the movie, and perhaps of any movie, is when he puts the. There's a scene where he interviews the actor that he's going to use, and the guy's worked from before, and he goes, "I just hope that this time uh, he doesn't make put my head go through a, a wooden board because he did that on the last film we worked on. It really fucking hurt." Oh, like, so you're talking about Coven? Yeah, American movie. No, no, American movie has the scene in it yeah but the scene is for the movie coven that no no well no i'm setting it up because then (laughs) 
it's not even that. It's like then you, they do the scene in American movie of the guy's head going through the board and it doesn't go through. So he keeps making him do it over and over, like more and more painfully. And then finally he goes, all right, we, can, we need to rig it so it breaks easier. So they use a saw to try and get the wood to break that they've already tested on his skull like 10 times. And the scene I'm talking about is the scene where he's trying to break the wood himself using tools and like power saws and he still can't break the wood. See, like, the reason that that, that seems real, Kelly Wand, is because it is real. Well, yeah, but it, that means it's a real moment, Mr. Non-Fake Physical Gesture, Obi-Wan Kenobi over here. Well, but seriously, that is part of why, you know, that's why I don't think of documentaries as movies. Like, movies are... Well, they don't think of you as... <laughs> they, they don't have to. But movies are faked, documentaries But you're the one who fake. doesn't care. You're the, you're the Mr. Source Materials Irrelevant. So it shouldn't matter whether it's real or not, as far as you're concerned. You shouldn't have this line in the sand. You know, you people. obviously were never in debate club because that does not fall. That makes no sense whatsoever. Gallo. I say harumph <laughs> and I raise you. A <laughs> well, I'll give you a balderdash. Ooh, yeah, sweet. I, I, this, I can't hey, Point stomach for me. any more of this molly coddle <laughs> frappery. Don't hit me. Don't give me your tomfoolery. Damn foolery. Tomfoolery. Uh, all right, so it's the okay. All right, let me just say this: my other two are even. Le- you'll have that comment times a million after all right. the other two. <laughs> I mean, you know what, though, Kelly? I what? fucked up the category. I'll admit it. To, to be fair, it is a real moment. I mean, it's right. really real because it's, it's as real as Obi Wan Kenobi's non-fake. I'll tell you this: it's more real than my number three. Which was what again? Which is uh, Gene Hackman getting fake slapped by, well, getting slapped by Angelica Houston, but they're actors, you know, and there's cameras. How is, yeah, okay. They're, they're well, playing there's... characters. It's, yeah. Mm. That's quite a distinction. That changes everything. <laughs> Dingus, if... get in here. What's your number three, and how do you feel about us bringing up documentaries? Is Tom an idiot, or is he an well, idiot? Well, <laughs> who's a bigger idiot? Who's the bigger idiot, Dingus? Pick. The, the entire discussion you just you guys just had could basically be swapped out from our podcast about uh, non-faked physical gestures because you guys talked about the exact same thing about the guy getting hit with a was it that with the board the first time we did it it was no it was, it was equally exciting both times but it was it, it was the so same who won? It was Kelly and then won. I made a joke about uh, uh, Grizzly Man uh, that's my number one by the way because <laughs> I thought he did a very convincing job of of uh, pretending to be eaten by a bear oh i thought you made number one was dingus telling the joke because that's, well, that's what you get for uh for something that's so similar now i i have a distinction. i'm okay with the distinction but uh, uh all right all right so kelly one that's good so dingus what is your number three <laughs> and is good. it it's real like i said it's real uh the other two are uh, i can't never mind. okay i can't wait <laughs> i apologize no i'm usual. sure i'm sure, no it'll be, sure it'll be very real It'll be great. It's going to be awesome. We'll see. I better re- make a new list. Hang on one sec. No, no. Keep keep it real, Kelly Wand. Keep it real. Okay, Dingus, while Kelly Wand is Googling real movie moments, what is your number three? <laughs> All right. My number three was neck and neck uh, for a couple, uh, for two different moments, um, both from last year. Uh, but the one that won out is from – a little movie uh, that made my list called Animal Kingdom. Hmm. And uh, this was directed by David Michaud. And uh, the moment in this um, 
in this moment that I love that feels like a really real moment. And these, I just love these little moments in movies. And this is one of the things that, that inspired this film. I mean, uh, this category, although not, not the one that made me, made me come up with it uh, a long time ago, actually. Um, but this is, I love this moment. And, and this is, uh, uh, Guy Pierce plays a detective in this, in this film, Animal Kingdom. And he's Detective Nathan uh, Leckie or Leakey. I can't remember how you say his name. Uh, but he's playing with his daughter on the floor. It's just this moment when he's at home with his family and he's playing with his daughter on the floor in, in front of the kitchen. And, and his wife is, is in the kitchen. It's like, they've got one of these little islands where the where, you know, who's ever cooking can cut stuff or wash stuff. And, 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 um, Guy Pierce's phone starts to ring and his wife's, he holds his hand up as like, you know, toss me my phone and she slings it to him. She just like slides it off the counter and it flies over to him and smacks him in the hand and he misses it. You know, in an American film, a cool American detective catches that every time. But uh, Guy Pierce just totally fumbles the catch. He can't do it. It clatters to the ground and they keep that take. And I, I just, I, you know, this is one of the things that, that, one of the things I, I mentioned last week was how Kelly brought up the John Cassavetes fumbling the gun thing, which feels like a very rehearsed thing, although it's really, really well Kassala. done. Kasala. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and, and this moment just feels like he, he couldn't catch it, and the director's like, you know, I prefer that to what we rehearsed. And, and that's, that's one of the things. I, I just love that little touch in the movie. All right. Good. Guy Pierce. Are you sure that that was a real fumble though and it wasn't a scripted fumble or CG. i'm absolutely not sure and one one of the things it, I, i'm pretty sure it's not cg but it might be cg being cg for cg sake um <laughs> but one of the things about this was that it felt real to me when i watched the film i felt like ah they oh he missed it and and if they pretended that it was perfect that's a good one i i love stuff like that uh-huh all right, I am now going to break this category, Dingus. What do you think of that? I like that. I thought I already did that. I'm going to break it wide open. So here's the thing. Dingus, the stuff you're talking about, Kelly Wand, I don't know what you're going to do. Documentaries, not real movies, doesn't count. But I I love good acting, and good acting is stuff like Guy mm. Pierce fumbling that, and they keep that. I love little moments in performances. However, uh, as somebody who loves movies and watches a bazillion movies and can really appreciate the heck out of a good performance – uh, you know, I've I've tried to be an actor in the past. I love watching good actors. I'm always aware, and this doesn't detract from the experience. In a way, I think it en- enriches my enjoyment of it. I'm always aware of watching actors work. And even with the guy Pierce, like you're you're saying, Kelly Wan, with him missing that phone, I'm like, that's great. They use that take. That's awesome. That's real. That's authentic. But in the back of my head, I'm aware of the process. So my number one and my number two, and I wish I could do this for all three, are moments where I completely lost sight of that process because I think the filmmaker cheated. And the cheating was to good effect. It helped the movie. And for my number two, I am going to talk about a little six-year-old Romanian girl named Katinka Untara. Uh, She was in in a movie uh, directed by a fellow named Tarsem called The Fall. Uh, She was cast as a little tiny six-year-old girl. She'd had no acting experience. And the way that Tarsem made this movie is he put 
this little girl with no acting experience, and she is so incredibly open and expressive and unselfconscious around the camera. It's, it's just one of the he, – he has so much amazing imagery in this movie because he's a very visual filmmaker. But nothing that he can do, no matter how elaborate, is as beautiful as that little girl's expressiveness. So what he does in this movie is it's about the little girl. She's in the hospital with a broken arm, and she's got a cast on her arm the whole time. And he puts her in there with an actor named Lee Pace, who's very good. He's very comfortable with her. And Lee Pace, he's, uh, he's suicidal. He's despondent. The movie is sort of about his state of mind. He's telling this little girl a story. And that's the framework for the movie. And the story he tells the little girl, Tarsem then goes off and shoots this elaborate story at like 20 different locations around the world. It's a really bold bit of filmmaking, but the boldest thing about it is this little girl. And the one specific moment, uh, and the thing is, they didn't, you know, they didn't tell the little girl to act. There were times even where they just put her on his lap. The idea is that he's confined to a hospital bed and they drew the sheet around them and just put the camera in a hole so they could shoot it. And the little girl thought she was alone with Lee Pace. Um, and it's, it's beautiful. At times, it's a little hard to watch. There's one scene late in the movie where he has to be really upset with her and she starts crying. Uh, and it's, it's difficult to watch when you find out uh, in the commentary track uh, Tarsim says that the little girl was so upset that she actually wet herself during this scene. And that makes the scene icky for me. Like I, I, that makes it difficult to watch when I know it's a child who's really upset. But there are authentic moments like that that I think kind of redeem what he did. Uh, that create just such a beautiful, genuine experience out of the interaction with this little girl has with the actor. So the specific moment I'm thinking of, Lee Pace, uh, he's, 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 I mean, he's worried that he's going to be paralyzed for life. So at one point, he's telling her a story, and he's using this story to bribe her and get her to do things for him that he can't do. And one of the things he wants her to do is touch different toes on his feet so he can determine whether or not he can guess the toe and, and maybe make himself believe that he's getting feeling back in his feet, which, which he's not. But, but he wants her to, to, to go outside of the sheet that she's drawn around the bed and touch a toe. And, you know, this little actress, uh, Katinka, just thinks she, you know, she's just playing a game with him. So at one point he tells her to go out and touch a toe and he guesses, is that my big toe you're touching? And she moves her finger over to the big toe and says, yes. And he's like, now, are you lying? Or are you serious? Is that? And she obviously wants to please him. She, she's really fond of this guy. And there's amazing chemistry between them. It's absolutely real. This little girl loves Lee Pace. They're so close. And. He has to take her to task and, and say, are you lying to me or did you tell me a story? Did you really touch my big toe? And there's this lovely confusion on her face where she's caught in a lie. She wants him to be to, – she wants his approval. And, and, and yet he's pressing her saying, don't lie to me. Did you? And there's just, just fantastic confusion. It's not the mental agony where later on where, where she ends up wetting herself, but it's just this beautiful childlike confusion where she wants to please him, but she's also torn about telling him the truth. And that right there is one of my favorite real moments in any movie because, god damn, it's so real. Tarsem actually got these two people together, and Lee Pace actually you know, called this little girl out for lying when she thought they were just playing a game. And I just love that confusion on her face. Um, so that's my number two moment. Uh, it's not... My number one, I think, is even stronger, but uh, that's what I'm picking for my number but two. That's not a blooper. It's not a blooper. It, it was how the movie was engineered. And actually, if I'm not mistaken, Tarsem shot all of this and had the story just emerge from the conversation between Katinka, 
uh, and, and Lee Pace. And from that, that story, he then went out and shot the story. So it's not a blooper at all. Uh, it, it's how they, they created and told this story in the fall. Hmm. I guess I should see it. Uh, you absolutely should see the fall. Yeah, I mean it's it's at times uneven, but uh, just the the word the you know Lee Pace and Katinka Untara. It's a fun name to say, by the way. There's mm. just there's absolute magic there. So is that the guy who made the cell? It is. Yes. Yes. Um, That's good. The cell. Yeah, I like the mm. cell. It's no the fall. <laughs> Did my intestines get twirled around on the thing, Coach? Remember? <laughs> what? No. Vince Vaughn in the cell. Ah, uh, very good. I forgot. That's right. Vince Vaughn was in that. Uh, it's so lonely being a movie buff. It's a lonely <laughs> feeling. All right, Kelly Wan, what is your... Wait, 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 wait. wait. Oh, oh, I'm not yeah. done talking about this. Okay. Um, that's great. I, I like where you're going with this, actually. Was yeah. that one that you were thinking of? Absolutely not. Okay. You know, because I think um, because of the way I'm set up, uh, I really loved the fall. Um, and finding out some of the stuff you're talking about diminished my love of it because of how I feel about these types of situations where kids are involved. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, you, you talk about like a couple of moments that were icky for you. It's, it's, it's hard for me now because I've seen it a couple of times to watch her performance knowing that's what's going on for her because it's, it's really hard for me to imagine what it's like for that child. I mean, it's, it, it, the results are fantastic and I love the moment you're talking about specifically. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. really sort of getting at the heart of, of, uh, kind of what I'm talking about, not where I went with my list at all, but I really like that very much. But but the very thing you're talking about as far as the reality of it and her wedding herself and, and her very real emotions that she was going through because the ca- the director was kind of manipulating her and playing games with her are things that I don't like about directors and I don't like to see happen to children in films. But that's how you have to use children in films and, and that's something that's always difficult for me to handle. So I really like your choice, but it's it's hard for me to hear those stories after liking the film and then sort of reconcile my like for the film with how I feel about children how children should be protected. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I I, I think that's part. Well, you know what? Actually, that was shot in Los Angeles, if I'm not mistaken. So I was going to say you would was... never. Yeah, the hospital wasn't it in Los Angeles? I thought you'd. T- I don't know. I, I guess. I guess so. I thought. I thought it was somewhere overseas, but maybe not. Well, he he then you know he shot that. I could be wrong about it. She was a Romanian girl, so. But I think it was a it was a hospital in Los Angeles that was actually still working. But uh, he then on while doing commercial shoots around the world would take time out to shoot using the same crew uh, footage for, for his movie. Uh, right. So, but I think the hospital stuff was in the States. I was going to say you couldn't do that with an act, with a child actor in the States, but I, I guess he did come to think of it. Police so, state. Yeah. Well, I think you can. And, and I, I, I just watched a movie last night where the director talked about uh, a, how a baby reacted in a scene and how everybody in the crew and the director felt really gross about it and, and, and guilty about it but it was a really really good take and the, the baby or the the very very young child had a very real reaction and 
And, um, and, and, you know, just like any other sort of like little scare, I'm sure the kid will get over it, but it just seems so odd for this art to be able to push kids in this way. And it's, it's hard for me to reconcile that, even though I love the work, the, the final product, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think for the most part, Dingus, like I only recall the one scene where the scene that I'm mentioning where she's covering for the lie, I don't think she's in any distress. I mean, I think that's her learning. OK, do I tell the truth? I mean, I think that's just part of, of childhood. Uh, and they're exploiting that, that little part of childhood of discovering, you know, do I tell a lie? Do I tell the truth now that I'm outed? How do I react? Um, it's only where he has to yell at her. Uh, later on, where she gets really scared, that's hard to, to watch. And I think if you look at the sum total of the experience, and it's this may not excuse it in your mind, and that's certainly cool, but if you look at the sum total of the experience and how she smiles at him and the really the real relationship they have and probably how much fun it was for her because she was just playing games and how at ease she was. And there are times you can tell they're just running the camera and she's doing great stuff. Like the overall sum total of this experience was a huge net positive for her, I would guess. Um, and so, yeah, that's just a, a little rationalization I use. Um, hmm. You're evil. I know. I know. Uh, well, me, me too. I, I mean, I think along the same lines. But uh, even even as somebody who's who has worked as an actor, I can't imagine uh, letting another adult do the, put my son through those things. You know, I, I mean, I hear people all the time saying, well, you should get your kids in the commercial. You should get your kids. <laughs> oh, God. You, know, you should get your kid an agent or whatever. What? I can't imagine putting my kid through the things I've seen kids go through in films and on television. But but I consume those things as as somebody who watches movies and television. But I can't imagine as a parent letting somebody yell at my kid uh, and and letting him go through that. But. But, right. I, you know, you're right, Tom. I, I, I understand what you're saying about sort of the net positive for her, and, and probably that's true. Well, all right, Dingus, I'm going to take your son off of the casting list for the remake of The Fall, just so you know. <laughs> I'm striking his name off right now. <laughs> Thank you. Also for the remake of Your Highness. <laughs> Who – what kind of friends do you have who are, like, hassling you to get your kids? In? That's just L.A., Kelly Wand. Everybody in L.A. says that. You see is that, like, kid. some compliment you just tell your friends? Oh, yeah, your kids yeah. should be. Really? Sure. Don't you think that's how people in L.A. talk to us? Oh, yeah. I yeah. never <laughs> say that to – I don't know. Seems <laughs> if, you have a cute, if you have a cute, articulate kid than, than other people and you meet people in the industry at your kid's school all the time, they're going to say to you, why don't you get your kid an agent? You but child stars are all fucked up. I mean, well, yeah. ding, 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 ding. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly Wand, you figured it out. Well done. <laughs> oh, so it is a compliment. I understand. Oh, that's flattering. All right, so Kelly Wand, what's your number two? Let's hear you top that. Gee, I don't know. Well, all right. I know this breaks a couple of our rules, but um, <laughs> when Jar Jar got his tongue stuck in the exhaust port in Phantom Menace. Okay, now what's your real <laughs> one? Okay, the real one is uh, at the end of the third man when he throws the cigarette away, which I guess was like it was the actor doing it, but they went, oh, that's perfect because he's. When, didn't we talk about this as well? <laughs> when did this? I don't understand this category. <laughs> well, wait, when did that? Wasn't that one of the non-fake physical bits, or at some no, point? No, th- that up? was a character introduction for um, Harvey Lyne. But that's Harry Lyne. the thrown away cigarette where Kelly told us about the thrown away cigarette. No, it's when I, I talked about uh, Orson Welles in the in the doorway. This it's a different thing, but we, it, it's not the same thing. He's he's okay. He's safe. 
Okay, I'm pretty sure that Kelly has told us. So go ahead, Kelly. I'm sorry, but I'm pretty sure that what you're going to tell folks, I have heard on this podcast before. But go ahead. I know, and I don't. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, well, I'll put it this way: I had to replace something else because I realized. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. Good, good Lord, I've picked assassination of Jesse James for every single one of these lists, so you're allowed <laughs> to do that. So, oops, there went my number one. Uh, so go ahead, Kelly. I want to explain the cigarette thing to us. It's Joseph Cotton, not the Harry Lime character. That's Orson Welles, right? It's been a while. Right. No, at the end, he uh, see Tom doesn't like that movie because he doesn't like the Zither music. Because he's and also racist. I can never spot the Alfred Hitchcock cameo. It's very confusing. I can't. Where find I don't it. remember that. Is it in there? <laughs> he runs the Ferris wheel. Oh. <laughs> All right. Wait, the, I thought that was Strangers on a Train. Kelly, uh, what's this cigarette bit? So who's smoking a cigarette, and what makes this a real moment for you? What makes this one of your favorite real moments? It's um. It's this. It's the last scene of the movie, and like the chicks in the movie. Wait, a singular chick. One chick. The girl character, female. Just <laughs> say dame or skirt. That works. The skirt. Nineteen forties well. woman is walking away from him down that like pathway, and to so the broad. Cigarette. Yeah, the dame. It's January Jones. <laughs> yeah. The Weisenheimer is walking away. Oh, I have a good Ben Affleck story. I probably shouldn't tell you that. Oh, let me let me authenticate it before I proceed. And uh, Joseph Cotton's watching the girl walk away. We've all been on that date, and uh, throws a cigarette away. That's my number two. Do you want to tell us what makes it real? Because uh, I so it's just like a, it seems like a really authentic. Now, didn't you or someone tell me? Maybe I'm mistaken, but the idea was that Joseph Cotton was smoking and really thought that the scene was over and he was throwing it away. And Orson Welles later said to him, "No, that's brilliant. We're keeping it." Yeah. Is, that, is there something like that there? Or am, I, am I mistaken? Oh, Tom, you're right. He did mention this. Oh crap! Right. Now, now I remember it. That's right. That's hey, like uh, Vu all over again. Yeah. yeah. But go ahead and explain it, Kelly. Yeah. Well, the what he just said. That's all. <laughs> And was this not was this maybe it just came up as a runner up for non faked physical bits. Uh, and that's why I remember it. I just remember I just feel bad. No, no, no. This is good. I remember you telling it and it was a good one. I just want you to you're, you're not I don't think you've spelled out for people what makes it good. Is it Joseph Cotton thought they had stopped filming and he was lit, just smoking a cigarette? It, it wasn't it something like that. Yeah, but it's also it just sums up life. It sums up the, the woman walking away. Eh, Cigarette. What are you going to do? So Kids real in that, real in that sense as well. It, it, okay, fair, fair enough. I don't know. I don't. I don't really watch movies. <laughs> uh, okay. So, so the cuckoo clock speech was uh, improv too, and your highness was all real. Okay, save that for your runner-up. <laughs> all right. So Kelly Wan's uh, Joseph Cotton's cigarette. I hate repeating myself. It's just embarrassing. Because then sometimes, it, it, sometimes Kelly Wand, it's that good. And you know what? Maybe some people didn't listen to that po- podcast because it was a movie they hadn't seen. As opposed to Your Highness, which everyone's seen, <laughs> which is why it was number seven this weekend. I think people oh, will listen to this sir. one. Yeah, I think folks will listen to this without seeing the movie. We'll, we'll find out. Uh, <laughs> all right. So uh, that's your number two. Dingus, what is your Lucky. number two favorite real moment in a movie? Yeah. My number two. Runner-up, mm-hmm. technically. The silver medal. All right, my penultimate choice. I'm going mm-hmm. to give you guys a quote from it. Awesome, I got this one. All right, you guys ready? Yep. Hand me the keys, you fucking cocksucker. 
I guess that is real. I mean, that's, uh, yeah. That's... I remember it from that one night with Dingus where we were late for the uh, pie fight. <laughs> now what was that was that benicio del toro just like practicing takes or something what was the deal with that uh this is from uh usual suspects oh i thought it was excess baggage he said it till um, the specific moment is early on in the film um and it's uh the moment is the first lineup when, when the dudes are all lined up uh, you know against that through the window against that white background that shows how how uh, tall they are. And they all have to, the, the cops have given them this line to say, you know, hand me the keys, you fucking cocksucker. Um, and uh, wa- watching it again, and what I didn't realize and what I didn't think about is, is how this moment works so well in juxtaposition to an entirely artificial and awful moment that precedes it. Um, and it comes after Stephen Baldwin's terrible artificial attempt at being funny. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, that's right. And it's so hard to, it, this moment is one of my favorite moments in the film. He's funny now though. (laughs) When you rewind it and have to watch, you just have to try to catch it right after Stephen Baldwin talks because he's so awful. Um, and the moment is this next shot. It's this close up mid shot. It's a different shot. It's a, it's, it's, take it's sort of from the side of 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 the lineup and and it catches gabriel byrne and then benicio del toro then stephen baldwin and then kevin pollack in the lineup sort of from the side and and all it is is benicio's the next one who has to say his this line this you know hand me the keys line but before he can even see the line he just looks at the card and he just starts laughing and (laughs) And then the other guys in the line start giggling, too. And it's clear (laughs) to me that this is a moment after hours of filming when the actors have just been fucking up and breaking up and they're just they're just goofy. And Stephen Baldwin almost ruins it again because he's and this this is something that, you know, when Tom brought up Royal Tenenbaums has made me think of this. Stephen Baldwin smacks Benicio del Toro, just whacks him. And Benicio del Toro goes and smacks him back, and it, and it feels, it feels like that's real too. But just th- them giggling, it, it feels like such a different thing. And then, in fact, when when the shot shifts in the very next second to the master shot of them behind the glass, their demeanor is completely different. <laughs> uh, you you could look at the two shots; they don't match up at all. Nice edit, uh, not, Brian. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a horrible edit. Not only because Gabriel Byrne has one hand up in the other, and he has his his right hand up with his watch holding his hand in one shot, and then his left hand up. I don't care about that kind of minutia. That's fine, uh, unless it's you know unless it's Shutter Island. I don't care about that. Um, <laughs> but in this shift, their demeanor is completely different. They're all dour in the long shot they're all you know Stephen Baldwin's completely down and and they try to make like make to laugh when when Benicio you know says the line after the cops says say it in English but that that close-up line where where Benicio Del Toro looks at the card and then just starts giggling and they all start giggling I love that moment and I love that they kept it in because it it lends this feel of okay these this is a group of guys who work so that's it all right good Wait, Kelly what was it? I wasn't listening. <laughs> I'm still thinking about the third moment in Zapped when they shoot the when the flash. Oh right, mm-hmm. and you know that Heather Thomas was not expecting that flash bulb to go off. 
See, that had that Zapped had just enough CG. Your Highness would do well to study. My number one is actually Scatman Crothers running from the sausages in Zapped. <laughs> Spoiler. <laughs> Wait, that's in The Shining, isn't it? Isn't that the <laughs> Isn't the sausage in the bathtub and it's... Uh, and he I've been, to uh, it. Uh, yeah, if you know what I mean. <laughs> we uh, have fun on the podcast, don't we? Gosh. So, so Degas, was that your number two? So are we down to my number one? My favorite real moment. Is that yes. right? Your favorite right. non-artificial moment in a documentary. I'm going to give movie. you guys a line. Are you ready for this? It's actually two lines. It's, 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 it's actually, These aren't the droids you're looking for. These are actually the opening lines of the movie. Actually, I probably <clears> shouldn't have told you that because that's too much. Ready? Here we go. What are you looking at? I'm looking at that old bucket. Dingus, mm. I thought you might get this. I don't, I, I'm guessing Kelly Wand hasn't even seen it. No. Dingus, I something like this. Is there any bells, Dingus? I'm looking at that old bucket. Does Richard Gere? Here, I'll, I'll, I'll try to do it. Like rather than just give you the lines. What are you looking at? I'm looking at that old bucket. Oh, I know. Wait a minute. You're, you're <laughs> doing. You're doing that Schneider dude. <laughs> so one of them is Schneider, and the other is Zoe Deschanel. You see. That Schneider. Dude. Those are the opening lines to a David Gordon Green movie, his very first oh, movie. The called, one I don't like. Oh, I know. So the one you don't like. Ah. It's called All the Real Girls. Um, it has a very improvisational feel. I love the cast. Uh, it's basically a lo- about a love story between Paul Schneider and Zoe Deschanel. Um, the cast also includes Pat- Patricia Clarkson, who I think we all love as Paul Schneider's mother. Uh, and it's a very improvisational movie. It's about their relationship. But there's, I think, my favorite real moment of all times, uh, and and watching Your Highness just keenly made me miss this moment. Uh, and it has to do with how David Gordon Green works, and I think the kind of movie he wants to put together. Like all the real girls, it can be a little uneven, but you can. There's so much genius there. Um, and at one point in All the Real Girls, uh, you know, the movie's willing to sort of wander around amongst some of the different characters. So Paul Schneider and Zoe Deschanel, they're the main characters. Patricia Clarkson is Paul Schneider's mother. And at some point in the movie, there's an actor. I've, I've looked up his name because I love the scenes. His name is Ben Moten, and he plays Patricia Clarkson's brother. So he's going to be Paul Schneider's uncle. The character's name is Uncle Leland, I think. Uh, and he comes in for a couple of scenes. He doesn't have much to do with uh, with the movie. You can get a sense that maybe... As Paul Schneider's uncle, he's kind of a father figure there. They have a couple of scenes together. So great scenes with Patricia Clarkson. But for whatever reason, Uncle Leland has a, an Asian daughter. And now All the Real Girls is set in, I think it's, they, they shoot, David Gordon Green comes from North Carolina. It has a very North Carolina sort of rural feel. Um, and there's never any explanation for why Uncle Leland has an Asian daughter. There's no wife in evidence. You don't know if this is an adopted girl or if maybe his wife has died or something because he's a peripheral character and that's okay. But there's a scene and I think what's going on is that for whatever reason, David Gordon Green, he would just let the actors improvise. And if something was good, he would put it in. And I'm sure a lot of stuff ended up on the cutting room floor. But there's one scene that I think doesn't really have anything to do with the movie. Uh, It doesn't really advance it in any meaningful way, but it is so incredibly honest and precious and and just heartbreaking that I can just imagine David Gordon Green thinking we cannot not include this scene. 
and as like I said, it has nothing to do with the rest of the movie. And it has it, it involves Uncle Leland and this young Asian girl who I presume is an actress. But if you look her up on IMDb, she has no other credits. She hasn't worked since then. The movie, I think, is maybe eight years old. Uh, the actress's name is Maya Ling Pruitt. And for whatever reason, there's a scene where Uncle Leland, the actor Ben Moten, is, is fixing her hair. And then we cut to a, another shot of the little girl saying to Uncle Leland, she's got tears in her eyes. Uh, and, and he says, what, what's wrong, honey? And this actress, I mean, she's got to be at seven years old or something, eight. She says, just a few lines, she says, last night I had a bad dream. And you were in the river and you weren't moving and you were freezing and you were crying. And that's all she says. And she says that to him and she's tearing up. And we later, uh, you know, the camera then goes to a shot of him where he's saying, oh, I'll always be your daddy. I'll always be here with you. It's OK. And then she asks, can I can I go play? But when they spin the camera, when the camera's fixed on this little girl and she starts crying, you know, it's only the movie's only shot with one camera. So we're seeing the back of Ben Moten's head. But the little girl says this line to him and whatever's going on with her, I don't know if they're related in real life or something, whatever's going on with her, this delivery, the actor himself, Ben Moten, obviously starts crying because this little girl, who I don't think was coached to do this, reaches up and wipes a tear off of his face. And we don't get to see it because the camera's not in a place to show his face. And later when the camera swings around, that moment is missed. He can't he can't recreate it, of course. But there's something so authentic in this little girl recounting this dream about her father, you know, being dead and, and reaching up and, and it elicits a tear from the other actor. And she just her hand reaches up and she wipes the tear off of his face. And it's just this amazingly authentic, precocious moment that I imagine doesn't really serve. You know, there's no explanation of who the girl is. Uncle Leland doesn't figure prominently into the action beyond, uh, you, you know, certainly not as a father uh, to the little girl. But I can just imagine David Gordon Green shooting this and saying this is just too valuable to not put in the movie. So it feels like it's from another movie. It doesn't necessarily belong, but it is so heartrending. And it's just an amazing thing to watch. Uh, and, you know, I, I think of I think of the scenes with with Katinka and Tara in the fall and the sort of the trickery that goes on there. But whatever was going on here, I think there was a little girl just mentioning a dream about her father being drowned. And this other actor, whether or not he's related to her, responding to it. So it's an amazing, precious moment. And I, I love that about all the real girls. So there's my number one. But you're assuming that. Like, it may have been scripted. Um, I think I – like, I, you can see – I think if you watch all the real girls, you can tell. Yeah. I mean, and also child actors. Well, hold I mean, hold I've on. Seen... Let, let, me, let me preempt you. Okay. You, can say, you can say what you're going to say. It doesn't matter if it was scripted. What matters about this category is that it seemed real. Now, go ahead, Tom. You can go ahead and say what you're going to say, but Kelly, you can't bring that up anymore. It doesn't matter if it was scripted. He, he, of, he, we, we don't know if it wasn't CG. It doesn't matter. It's that it seemed like it was a real moment, and this is perfect. Go ahead, Tom. And I'm pretty sure, I mean, just from watching actors and watching good kid actors, I mean, I love, there's something so amazing about watching a talented child actor. And I don't think that's what's going on with, uh, you know, Maya Ling Pruitt, this young girl. I don't, I don't, I don't think there's any way that a child that young with those tears in her eyes and, and the authenticity of that gesture to wipe his cheek, you know, I don't think anybody told her to do that. And, and I don't know, you could be, you could be right, Kelly Wand, it could be just an amazing bit of 
of this actress tuning into what David Gordon Green war- wrote, but knowing how he worked with the other actors in the movie and how, how improvisational the rest of it is, uh, I just can't imagine it's scripted. And by the way, this is Danny McBride's first movie. I mean, you can watch. I remember watching All the Real Girls and thinking, wow, that guy who played Bustass, that's Danny McBride's character's name in, in All the Real Girls, is Bustass. I remember thinking, that guy's good. Uh, so there's a lot of non-scripted stuff in there. So I, I can't imagine that scene was scripted. Mm. So I'm you so have... annoyed with you, Tom. Why? What, what are you talking about? Because I don't want to watch that movie again, and now you make me want to watch that movie. You may not, I mean, see, the thing is, I can understand you being annoyed with the Zoe Deschanel, Paul Schneider stuff, and some of that's a little precious and annoying. That Schneider guy. Some of that's. Some well, of that's, he does a good Schneider impres- impersonation. I don't know if he was meaning to do it, but it's his cadence. Pat Harrington. Well, but but I, I mean, some of that is very self-indulgent. But this little scene with the girl, not self-indulgent at all. It's just a, an absolute treasure that they couldn't afford to not have in the movie. Uh, and I don't, do you remember that dingus? Like, did that make an impression on, on you at the time? Uh, I have a vague recollection of it, but I was, I, I got so annoyed by, you know, them in the bowling alley and stuff that, <laughs> and, and, and now I just, I feel like I want to watch it. I wish I'd watched George Washington because there's gotta be oh. Washington that's perfect for this too. And you're right. That's his first movie. I think all the real girls was his second movie. So. Thanks for that correction. Yeah, yeah, I, I do think all the real girls, especially now that I think we appreciate Zoe Deschanel more. Certainly, it's good Patricia Clarkson work, but uh, and, well, you know, I totally it, forgot she was in this. You know, when I was watching Your Highness, I, I, I just, I totally forgot that. I just was focused on wow, her cleavage looks amazing, and right. hey, she's singing like she did in Elf. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, but it, it's that you know we we loved her in Gigantic. You, you know, this is the yeah. same Zoe Deschanel that got to play around in Gigantic let loose even more in all the real girls. I, I just, I, she's fascinating to watch. And I, you do need to see it again, even if just for this, the scene with, uh, with the, the young Asian girl. Uh-huh. And you know, not to, not to give anything away about your highness, but your objections about how she was used, uh, resonate much more now that I remember that. Good. Or, or how she was not used. In right. Anything. Right. What she could have been used to do. Yeah. How, what she I could have brought to the movie. Yeah. I, for, I forget how, how much she can do just from dingus give me a line from gigantic wow that's big <laughs> no that is not oh. that not occurring gigantic uh, I'll give that, can you can you see my panties very good very good or is it can you see the underwear no, i think you're right yeah yeah i think i don't i don't know if she uses the word panties that would be too funny yeah. is this the one with dwight and uh, ellen page no this is with paul dano and a fantastic John Goodman performance, uh, and Zoe Deschanel. Gigantic is great, Kelly Wan. You should see it. Mm. And a and a great is it Jane Seymour at the end? Yeah, yeah, and a great Jane Seymour bit. Hmm. Uh, Kelly Wan, you should see more movies. Nah. <laughs> Get sick of them. That well, was your... my number ten film two years ago. Yeah. Kelly Wan, what is your number one favorite real moment in a movie of all times that may or may not be a documentary and therefore, in fact, real anyway? All right. It wasn't a documentary, but... So it's nothing from Shoah. No. That's Showa. not a documentary. See, source material doesn't matter. Shoah could all be made up. It's not a crime. Oh. Um, anyway. Wow, uh, that's that. Oh, too soon, boo. I think that's the, the first... I did not know we were going to have Holocaust denial on this <laughs> It's okay if, uh, what? I'm not burning a Koran or anything. 
<laughs> All right, what's your number one, Kelly? Walker? Yeah, edgy territory. Um, <laughs> my number one. Uh, well, you hear what it is, then you'll wish I'd talked more. Um, for once. <laughs> is it going to make Harmed Karzai uh, do some sort of political opportunism that's going to cause problems in in the, in the world? Is that the Libya dude? That's the uh. The... Is that our president? <laughs> Afghanistan. <laughs> Wait, we're Libya, right? Didn't that's... we annex? Did they annex us? After the we bought it from the Indians, I don't right. think we've called it as, as ours yet. Engines, it's not a slur, because engines make cars run. Okay, my number one, the thing that bumped uh, the part in Catfish where the catfish eats the Facebook is, um, I don't think this movie has a title, but it's um, the Pamela Anderson Tommy Lee movie, okay. and it's the part where he honks a boat horn with his dick because. To me, that really evoked that Ray Bradbury story, the Foghorn, where like the lighthouse is making the Foghorn noise and it makes the dinosaur think it's its mate. Except you, in this case, the lighthouse is Pamela Anderson. Did Did you get all that dingus? So, <laughs> yep. Tommy <laughs> Lee King Boat Horn with Dick. All right, dingus. What is your uh, number one? How long do I have to wait for Kelly to choose a category? I just want to know. <laughs> We've got at least one more week before you. Okay, good. I'll start watching a lot of porn. All right, good. Who's next? It's not porn. Diggs, it's your turn for your number one. This it's, was your turn. I just want to make sure I have this. The Pamela and Tom sex tape. Is that right? Yeah. Okay, Tom. thanks, Kelly. Just leave it at Tom so they think it's Tom Chick. I have not had sex with that woman. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. It depends woman. on what, what you mean by is. What is is. <laughs> See, Kelly, you get political jokes. Yeah, you don't see. have to know who Harmed Karzai is. Yeah. Right. Shoah. <laughs> Diggis, what is your number one? I presume it, whatever it is, it inspired this category. Hold I think on, it's my number one. I have to take a moment to be able to turn pages again. Oh. Let me just take a deep breath. Euphemisms. Is that a line from the movie? <laughs> no, <laughs> it's just me being really annoyed. But now I can. Okay, here we go. <laughs> um... <laughs> you know, just to clear my palate, I think I'm going to do an impression. Ah, that's what Tommy Lee said. Or wait, that's what Pamela Anderson said. Not just a line, but an impression. This is good. So, Kelly Wand, I think we're in for, I'm going to guess maybe like an Irish accent. This We might be treated to Dingus's Sean Bean, if you know what I mean. Ah, wink, wink. <laughs> You're going to get my Sean Bean right up the... Oh, what? Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Your Highness. Uh... <clears throat> All right, standing by for the impression. Here we go. Hmm. Well, that would not be necessary, Mr. President. It could be easily accomplished with a computer. Obviously, with the Pee Wee's Big Adventure movie. <laughs> I assume. It's Kermit the Frog's Big Adventure. I love how Dingus thinks that his Doctor Strange love sounds like Doctor Strange love when clearly, for for like three, four fifths of that line, I was convinced you were doing Pee Wee. I thought he was doing Yoda. <laughs> la la la. At first, I thought Yoda, too. And I was like, oh, he thinks he's doing Paul Rubens' Pee-wee. And then by the time the line was over, I was like, oh, no, he's he's doing he's doing how Dr. Strangelove must sound to him. Right. It's <laughs> filtered through my my boner. Because <laughs> I know when Luke got his hand cut off, he got really hurt in that scene. So that was a real moment. <laughs> All right. Explain yourself, Dingus. What did we just hear? Yeah. All right. What you just heard was the uh, th this moment is uh, one of the things that inspired this topic. It starts during Dr. Strangelove's final speech about how to preserve humanity in mine shafts. 
Um, and men from the war room are all gathered around him as he addresses President Merkin Mully. And uh, most of the men are in the dark, but the Russian ambassador, um, Alexei Dysandesky, who's played by Peter Bull, for those who want to know that, oh. he's very well lit. And the, and what I just love about this is how he this he cannot well he doesn't fully break but watching just I've seen this movie so many times that you can watch so many different things and watching him try not to break is one of those real pleasures for me and that they they left it in because the performance that's going on in the foreground is so brilliant is is just something I love and it, what what starts is. That moment where um, Strangelove's errant hand goes down to the wheelchair wheel and turns the wheel backward, and then he grabs it back. And then the second time he turns the wheel backward, uh, you see the ambassador's face change. You don't even really see it. It's this, it's this change in mean, this, this thing you feel. You feel his face has changed. So that it's not this dour look anymore. It's the actor trying to hold the dour look. You can tell there's a difference. And then as the scene progresses, and I think Strangelove goes for his second accidental uh, Fuhrer moment, uh, where, his, where his hand shoots up, you see the actor back there actively trying to keep from breaking. You see his, his mouth change. You see him almost start laughing. And... Uh, that that is so hard not to do when you feel like you're about to start laughing on stage it's so hard to keep that from happening and i just love that that this moment is kept in the film that this russian ambassador dude is just trying so hard to keep from laughing in a hilarious moment in front of a and a, a brilliant performance and that this is the this is the take that stanley kubrick keeps i love that is this as good as like Jimmy Fallon trying not to laugh at Will Ferrell? It's right up there because <laughs> I consider I consider Cowbell to be <laughs> basically the same thing as Kubrick, and in it, fact they sound alike. It is the Doctor Strange love of live TV. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I had no I, I have no idea what you're talking about, Diggins. So now I got to go watch that. In uh, Holy Grail favorite things about watching Dr. Strange. I mean, I'd love, I could watch that movie every week, I think. I, I would get sick of it, but I just love it so much. And getting to the end of it, and being able to see that Russian ambassador dude, and, it, I mean, it's just such a testament to how, how brilliant Peter Sellers is, that professional actors in this film, just they, they can't help themselves. And, and I wonder if that's why most of the dudes are in darkness. I mean, probably not the reason why, but but just he can't. He's trying so hard, and I just love watching that. Uh, what's your what's the Holy Grail thing, Kelly Wand? Oh, uh, for that part where John Cleese says uh, that he got better after being a newt. He kept changing his delivery every time, and Eric Idle's like a an extra in the background, and he bites a knife during the take <laughs> they kept because he's trying not to laugh at John. So when he bites the knife, it's him trying. Euphemisms. Yeah. Uh, I love Dingus. We've watched this scene many times. Kelly Wan, do you know the movie Heat? Uh, the one with Burt Reynolds. So there's the one with uh, Al Pacino and Robert De Niro, and there's Al Pacino a point where, where Al Pacino, Hank Azaria has a small part as a, as a, like a Vegas businessman who's having an affair with Ashley Judd. 
and so Al Pacino as the cop is going to use because Ashley Judd is Val Kilmer's wife in the movie. So Al Pacino is going to use Ashley Judd to get to Val Kilmer and to do it, he's going to go through Hank Azaria. So there's a scene where they go to Hank Azaria. He's a businessman in Vegas. They go to him and Pacino unleashes his Pacino on him. He does the Pacino to Hank Azaria. <laughs> and at one point, Hank Azaria is pretending he doesn't know who Ashley Judd is. He's like, who? And Hank and uh, Al Pacino is supposed to say to Hank Azaria, you know her, she's got a great ass and you've got your head all the way up it. But Al Pacino, start, as he's letting his Al Pacino loose, starts to say, she's got a big ass and you've got your head all the way up it. And Al Pacino gets that B is literally like millimeters away from leaving his lips he has his lips pursed for the letter b and it's right before he lets his breath out to aspire that b that he stops himself his mouth freezes at b and it morphs to great ass instead and it's the weirdest it just looks like this weird facial like 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 he has some a, a face seizure or something where he goes from big ass to great ass and there is a cut to Hank Azaria's reaction after what must have been the fumbled line or whatever, where there is such genuine, what the hell are you doing? Disbelief on Hank Azaria's face. I love that moment. Uh, so it made me think. I think there's even a bit of spittle that winds up on Hank Azaria. Absolutely. And you, and that's, yeah, you can you can see the spit flying from Al Pacino's mouth onto Hank Azaria's collar. It's, it's, a, it's a lovely, my favorite part of Heat. You know, everybody talks about the gunfight, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and I just I can't believe they kept that. Okay. You know, it's Michael Mann. Just like they kept that take of Tom Cruise busting his ass on the chair. That's the <laughs> Michael Mann that I love. More of that. Yeah. And so. Tom doesn't just love every man. <laughs> I should have had the Britney Spears. Ha ha. Or do you have any runners up? Well, on to fall Tom's uh I'm I'm big on when shit like like things i don't know you'll know what i mean it's like enraging bull for the part where uh de niro keeps asking joe pesci if he uh, banged his wife right uh there's one part where apparently instead of saying the real line de niro goes i fucked your mother or something and then it just shows pesci's reaction to that so he looks like genuinely appalled and horrified <laughs> So I that's good. That's a real moment that I watched one time. Yes. You just made me watch a horrible movie, Kelly Wand, which I appreciate, I appreciate the thought. But apparently in The Visitor, so I watched this horrible movie called The Visitor. And not Sorry, only that, I, I played both comment. I listened to both commentary tracks. Oh, that's wow. how bad I thought it was. It was like so awful. I was like, what the hell were these people thinking? So I don't know if you know this, Kelly Wand. Did you send me The Visitor because it's the same guy that did Tentacles? Did you mean to do that? Oh, I didn't know that. Well, the same producer. It's this cheesy Italian producer who did all these crappy movies in the 80s, like Tentacles, like Piranha 2 and The Visitor. Uh, so there's apparently a scene in The Visitor where Shelley Winters is supposed to slap this kid. Uh, <laughs> and when they have the kid all grown up and she's in one of the commentary tracks. And she, by the way, is completely clueless about the movie. She huh. didn't. She's not an actress. They got her to do this movie down in Georgia. She's an ice skate, probably. It, not even that. The, those were doubles. Uh, the, I, the, Oh, yeah, yeah, please. She doesn't. Uh, she doesn't ice skater. I've lost so much respect now for that movie. She's not the gymnast either. But anyway, so so Shelly Winters is supposed to slap her. And she talks in the commentary track about how she was really mad at Shelly Winters because Shelly Winters was like saying mean things to her and really slapping her. So there you go. 
Wait, John Huston really called birds down, though, from the UFO. <laughs> right? Yeah, spoiler. Spoiler. That you is how... like that movie? You're weird. It's incomprehensible. What a mess. Shut up, Tom. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Make perfect sense. You didn't understand. You just, it was over your head. That's what's the problem. I guess so. Yeah. You have too small a brain to get that movie. But I got, I got plenty of entertainment out of it. I watched it once the whole time thinking, well, when is this going to get good? And that didn't happen. So then I got to turn around in my head. Why did Kelly Wand want me to watch this? And then I was like, what did the idiots who made this movie, what were they thinking? So that's where I watched both commentary tracks. You didn't like it when the basketball blew up? And then he's having yep. sex later with her and going, that was crazy. That's I just like happened game five. I, I liked Lance. Like a young Lance Henriksen is a cool thing to see. John Houston is Gandalf. Oh, that was so sad. What? I know. Tom, yeah. you didn't understand it. Give it to Dingus. He'll like it. <laughs> okay, Dingus. Dingus. <laughs> You're up next to the, the White Elephant CD or DVD that Kelly Wan sent me of The Visitor. It was expensive. That's a good friend gift, you bastard. So I hope you you better watch every fucking commentary track on it. And then it'll be, a, it'll be a prize on, on the next podcast. I can't believe you watched it. listeners. I don't even know you've watched it till this podcast. That hurts. I want to just bring it on you. Uh, I thought you'd like it more than you did. You sound pretty upset about that. You know, I mean, I, it's not it's like, like I, the thing I ever sent you. I have, no, I have no problem with watching a movie I don't like. I, Kelly Wand, our time together it's watching, our time, our time watching Tentacles was precious yeah, to me. Magical. Was lovely, yeah. I would have liked this movie more if we could have watched it together rather than me sitting there wondering the whole time. You know now, why did Kelly want me to see this? <laughs> <laughs> I thought you still smoked weed. <laughs> ah, there you go. That might be it. So. Uh, well, wait. So the passage is lamer still to you than the passage. The, the visitor took less time and I could do other things while I was watching it. I thought it was redemption for the passage. Like you wouldn't be mad at me anymore for the passage. I'm not, I'm, I was never mad about uh, you're always you're you. I'm fine with having always. seen the visitor. I'm proud, by the way, to now own a copy of the visitor. And, and actually, seriously, though, Kelly Wand, like that is this niche of, of like 80s filmmaking is this these cheesy horror movies that that for some reason Italian producers did in the states and dubbed over the English actors voices and uh you know I've seen Piranha 2 I've seen Tentacles so that was a gap in my my You knowledge. didn't like how Glenn Ford gets in a car accident cuz he can't take his foot off the brake for no reason for like 10 minutes Actually you know what <laughs> that awesome. that set piece was awesome for the practical car effects and also for the death scene this idea that the car rolls over in a chain link fence so he's pinned yes. aside when the car bursts into flames that was Cool. I will. That's agree. a real moment. That's my new number one. <laughs> <laughs> After John Houston summoning crows. All right. So uh, and also it had video games in it. Okay. It did. It was. It was. You know what? You're right. It was the first game spotting because there was there were several appearances and these were notable. This actually was tied into the UFO stuff of Pong. Pong right. featured prominently in the 1979 horror sci-fi thriller movie The Visitor. That's true. If you've ever wanted to see John Houston play Pong in a movie That's against right, a possessed child. <laughs> and then the UFOs and the birds. And, oh, it's so and good. The one bird, there was one bird that was like right. the, the ball in Phantasm, where mm -hmm. for whatever reason there's a mechanical bird that shoots a blade out of its gullet yeah. and impales Lance Henriksen. I never thought I would see that in a movie. I want to get baked and watch that movie with Mel Gibson. Like, <laughs> he might be. He might have some free time. And yeah, well, that's true. That's well, true. we'll see how the beaver does. Oh, mm. you know what is I mean. Next week? Mm. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to tell you guys about our three by three for next week. Are you ready? Wait, wait, wait. Oh, oh, not... Runners up, Dingus. What runners up did you have? 
All right, I have three runners up. Uh, okay. The one that was vying for my third place, and I'll just be quick about these, um, is the the sneeze while teaching hunting in Winter's Bone. Ah, very good. How do you know that wasn't scripted? That's a good point. It might have to sneeze. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Words <laughs> don't matter. So yeah. So in that in that last reenactment, uh, Kelly played the role of Dingus. <laughs> I played the role of Kelly. And Dingus played the role of Tom Chick. Wendy, can I do a podcast tonight? <laughs> <laughs> and scene. <laughs> All right, Dingus, ah. what are your other two? <laughs> um, the other one is uh, this moment near the end of Blue Valentine. Uh, oh. where Ryan, okay, go on. Ryan Gosling um, sticks his ring finger in his mouth and pulls his, fing- his ring off and throws it in the bushes and then jumps in the van and then just gets back out of the van and goes to look for the ring. That just feels like uh, the actor just did this and now we got to find the ring. And by the way, I think it's just so uh, rewatching all the real girls. I just kept being reminded of maybe not the tone, but certainly the process of blue Valentine. So let me just throw that out there for you as well. Okay. You're, all right. You're getting to me now. Uh, right. And the final, the final one of my runners up is, is something that uh, always makes me think of Tom. And uh, and this is a a little moment in Caligula? paradise now in paradise now where uh, oh god I meant to do that one rats well done go ahead we're just uh, go ahead no 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 you're the one I forgot I mean I it didn't fit what I was doing with my list but bring it up I'm glad you brought it up we both love it's it. it's, it's it's this little moment where where are they brothers are they just friends <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna guess I'm gonna say yes okay where uh, where it's just a simple moment where a guy. Uh, brushes off something off off uh, some, something off the back of another guy's jacket, and it's just a really precious little <laughs> physical moment between two. That makes you think of Tom. Two guys. No, it's it's something that Tom is that, that it's one of these these great movies, and this is a moment that really stuck out for both of us, and it's just a very personal moment where. Yeah, I don't want to go into the whole uh, plot of the movie where a guy brushes another guy's jacket. I think no. we can go into the plot. I mean, just to sell the it's, – it's not a spoiler for most people, but Paradise Now is about suicide bombers. And, and I don't think they're brothers, Dingus. I think they're friends. Uh, okay. It's okay. two guys that agree to, to, to volunteer to be suicide bombers. And they put on nice suits, and they have the bomb vests underneath the suits. And they have to be smuggled from uh, – I don't know if it's Gaza or the West Bank or whatever – into Israel proper. And uh, – in the course of them being smuggled across a, through a gate, they have to wait on these dusty white rocks. And they're, they're just sitting there bored waiting for their handlers to get them across the border through the gate. Um, and one of them leans back on some white rocks while they're sitting there. And then while they're waiting, the other guy sees that, that his friend has dust all over the back of his jacket. Mm. I mean, these guys are going to go blow themselves up. And the other guy still, you know, just casually brush, brushes the dust off of his friend's jacket. I love that moment. Yeah. Uh, the movie that makes me always think of Tom's Brokeback Mountain, but <laughs> what moment? Actually, I don't want to know. Okay, <laughs> next week what? three by three. Are you guys ready for oh, this? Oh wait, wait, wait! I would one oh. runner up. Okay, just real quick. Sorcerer, the tracks oh. of the bridge. Come on. That's CG though. Oh, see, that's my point. <laughs> oh. I know, I know. All right, it's, I just it's hardly a moment though, Kelly. Juan. that's like a set piece. I know. They don't do them that that well anymore. I know, but that's I, you can't watch that movie and just think, God damn. Yeah, that's, the funny big. thing is, yeah, if you were to show that movie to anyone now, they wouldn't care because they're like, well, yeah, of course, there's wires, and they just CG out the wires. Uh, no, yeah. exactly. That's what, that's what people would think. Yeah, idiots. 
they would probably think too that it's a bad job of CG because obviously any truck leaning that precariously would just fall. So the wires they should have reshot it and made it not look so ridiculous. Right. Too That's, too uh, yeah. too unrealistic. Exactly. Yeah. We learned that from Season of the Witch. <laughs> oh God. What the Halloween one with yeah. the awesome uh, computer. <laughs> Okay, here we go. Next week's 3x3, very simple. I don't think there's going to be any questions. I'm just going to say it. I'm not going to take anything off the table. Do not not respond, because I know that both of you will immediately have things leaping into your head that you want to announce, especially Kelly Wand, and I want you to say nothing. I'm just going to throw out the topic, then we're going to mention what movie we're seeing next week and move on. Okay, are we ready? I'm scared. This one is so dirt simple. Just dirt, dirt simple. This one... But this is this is uh, this is idiot proof officially. <laughs> Next week's three by three. I'll be the judge of that. All right, here we go. Next week's three by three. Worst movie villains. Mm. All right, that's it. Uh, let's see Hannah next week. What do you guys think of that? I don't know. No, I like out. it. You don't know that yet, Dingus. You'll see. Uh, All right, so join us next week for our three worst movie villains. Uh, We will also be discussing Hannah, so please see Hannah so you can join us because we're going to get spoilerific with it. Uh, I don't mind saying this because I already told these guys. Hannah, I loved Hannah. There are like nine or ten awesome things about it, maybe even 11. I'm just saying that for the record. Uh, I know, sorry. Uh, I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by... Chris McC- Christian McCracken, I think. Sorry. That's Christian Morosky. You're getting there, buddy. Uh, so close. And Kelly Wand. Maybe Bill and Ted 3 will be the skyline to your highness's battle, L.A. <laughs> la, 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 la. <laughs> Okay, Wendy, the podcast is over now. Duh. <laughs>